You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 571. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of May, 2023. In today's episode, two people die when a twin-engine otter runs out of fuel off the California coast. An independent Russian media outlet says Aeroflot is telling crews not to report maintenance issues. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 571 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guest Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, the pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States of America. And joining us, or me, at this moment from, here we go. His home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, A&P mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to uh, be able to join you guys tonight. We are glad that you were able to join us as well. And also, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, a retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master and our producer and all-around good gal and friend <laughs> Liz Piper. I knew you were searching for a word there, I Jeff. You had me worried. Know what I was doing there. Hi, everybody. Hello. Well, you two guys, I hope you're not too lonely today. Well, I know, you know, I, I tried to find, you know, somebody to uh, to join us and uh, I just, I mean, I, I, I looked everywhere and I scraped I the bottom hope. of the barrel, really, and then, uh, oh, wait a minute. Hey, who's this? Blast Over the here. Past. Okay, so wow. <laughs> oh, that's better than my recording of you saying that. <laughs> so this gentleman, uh, Acme pilot, uh, Acme captain, and let's see, uh, former McDonnell Douglas driver, Boeing driver, and now in the Airbus. We're gonna hear from Dana. Dana Colton, and he's going to tell us all about uh, what he's been doing since uh, he's been away. He, yeah, he, yeah, he converted. Converted religion. Alibu Fonse. Uh-huh. Oh, we're going to do that, huh? Wee wee. Wee wee. See you later, guys. Have a good show. All right, Liz. And we're going to hear all about uh, Dana, and he's going to get, get us all caught up here after we do our news segment. So let's just jump right on into the news.
Stand by for news. All right. Uh, we're going to start off with this from the PressDemocrat.com. Two pilots were killed on Hawaii-bound plane from Santa Rosa. Uh, they reported fuel problems before crashing off the San Mateo coast of California. Uh, the pilot and co-pilot reported that they knew they were not going to make it uh, to shore due to a fuel line malfunction, the U.S. Coast Guard said. All right, so uh, let's see. The pilot and co-pilot of a small twin-engine utility plane, a uh, DHC, or DC, DHC, yeah, um, 6 400 Twin Otter de Havilland, Canada. Um, and uh, they departed Santa Rosa Saturday morning for Hawaii. Uh, they radioed authorities. They were nearly out of fuel shortly before their aircraft crashed into the ocean off the San Mateo coast, uh, killing both men. Authorities received a distress call from the Viking Air uh, Dash, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Twin Otter, when it was about 70 nautical miles west of Pacifica, when the men realized they weren't going to make it to shore. So they weren't really far that far out uh, over the Pacific when they uh, encountered the fuel transfer problem. The men told authorities to look out for a yellow life raft, which they had stored in their aircraft, according to the Coast Guard. Around 2.30 p.m., a Coast Guard search crew spotted the plane in the Pacific Ocean about 40 nautical miles southwest of San Francisco. It was upside down, and no life raft was in sight. Sadly, they had the fuel on board but couldn't get to it, or the, the fuel couldn't get to the engines. Um, so, um, also another article from, um, this is from also the press Democrat, I guess a different version, uh, a rescue swimmer looked into the plane, saw the pilot and co-pilot strapped, still strapped in the swimmer shook one of the men's legs. He didn't move. The men were pronounced dead at the scene. Um, let's see, NTSB national transportation safety board investigators are working to recover the plane. And, of course, to determine the cause of the crash. The plane was registered to a trust managed by the Bank of Utah. And they took off in the Twin Otter about 8.20 Saturday from the Charles M. Schultz Sonoma County Airport on a flight path to Honolulu. The STOL short takeoff and landing turboprop plane was originally de uh, designed to travel about 700 nautical miles. However, the aircraft had been refitted with an auxiliary fuel system to allow for longer flights. The plane flew southwest for about two hours before turning around about 10.40 a.m. And uh, so they reported that they were having a, a fuel transfer system malfunction. And uh, so they started heading back to Santa Rosa, and eventually they changed course and directed the plane to Half Moon Bay, probably because that was the closest place for them to uh, head for at that point. Um, at 1.30 p.m., the Coast Guard received a report from Oakland Air Route Traffic Control Center about the aircraft. The Guard issued an urgent marine information broadcast asking for boaters southwest of the Farallon Islands to look for a potentially downed plane. A Coast Guard helicopter crew was the first to spot the aircraft, which had gone into the water about 2.15 p.m. and had significant damage. All right. So... Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if this crew, I mean, this airplane was fitted with this auxiliary fuel system as just like a, a matter of like operating it like that all the time or, if, or more likely I'm likely I'm thinking was it was one of those things that they set up for just for ferrying the airplane to the Hawaiian Islands. What do you guys think? Well, more than likely ferrying the aircraft over there. That's typically not the type of flying a twin otter will do. 
you know, I have a little bit of time in a twin otter uh, flying jumpers, and that's a, quite a com quite common that type of aircraft to being used to fly jumpers because it's such a great aircraft to do so. Yep, that's what one of the I, airplanes that Steph uh, flies for her jumps. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I I'm I don't know enough about it, but I would imagine they probably should have done a pre-flight check on the transfer system um, to make sure it was working. I don't know, you know, whether they could do so or not. But uh, to find out that far out over the water is is pretty catastrophic, as we now know. Yep. And it could also be that maybe they did a test and it was functioning normally, and then something yeah. happened after that. I don't know. What do you think, sure, uh, Camacho? Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it, and I, I don't have a, I'm not a overwater expert, obviously, but, um, you know, generally there'd be a, I would think, at least when you're operating an airplane with multiple fuel tanks, um, you want to make sure that the, uh, you want to make sure everything's functioning before you kind of uh, paint yourself into a corner, right? So, like, if you're, even if you're talking about like a regular fuel system, like the airplane that I fly has four fuel tanks and you don't want to just run one, two, you know, one and then two tanks out and just assume that the other two tanks are going to work. You know, it's pretty common procedure to to run fuel out of some out of your initial tank that you take off and then switch tanks and verify that you're feeding and flowing fuel from those tanks. Sure. And then maybe if you're going to run a tank dry, run those dry. Right. And then you go back to the tank you started on because, you know, it's functioning already in that flight. Um, so that would be something I'd be a little curious about. Um, you know, they, they don't go into a lot of detail here, uh, in this story, but, um, it'd be interesting to know if that, uh, ferry tank was, you know, some of those systems are direct plumbed into the airplane. So essentially you're switching from feeding the engine from the, um, the standard fuel system, and then you're physically switching, uh, the fuel supply to that ferry system in the uh, fuselage of the airplane. Other ones, you pump that fuel from the ferry tank into the mains. So you never really affect the integrity of the fuel system that's feeding the engine. So it'd be, it'd be kind of curious to know that. And then it'd also be kind of curious to know, like you said, Jeff, if it's a, if it was something that was functioning and it failed mid flight, or if they, um, you know, flew all that way and, and then tried to utilize it, um, you know, two and a half hours or however far out they were away from the coast and then, and then realized they had an issue. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that, uh, and I looked at, uh, aerosafety.net and some of these other sources that we usually use, uh, but they didn't have any information about this either. I guess it's just so recently happened. It's just too fresh, I guess. So hopefully we'll hear, uh, an update from uh, the NTSB on this story as time goes on. All right, let's move to the next item. Uh, oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, let me break here for a second. Dana, I didn't even ask, do you have access to um, uh, uh, the uh, the stories? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, nope. should, I should have given Talk you a link. Talk about flying blind. <laughs> yeah, he's flying blind here. Uh, oh, yeah. Speaking of flying blind, <laughs> Aero, Aeroflot staff was told to turn a blind eye to maintenance issues. That's our next item. What a good segue. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's only, I think, because of my uh, the little voice in my head. Not the not the crazy ones that I hear all the time, but the one 
that I hear when I'm doing the show, which is, of course, uh, Liz Piper, the producer in the background. That's a crazy voice. That Well, that's that's true. That is a crazy voice. Okay. Uh, Russia's invasion <laughs> of Ukraine has led to all kinds of sanctions against the country, and that includes a, uh, aviation. These sanctions are causing Aeroflot to request that staff no longer record aircraft malfunctions. This doesn't seem like it's going to end well. Again, this is, or not again, but let me tell you where this is from. This is from one mile at a time. Dot com. Uh, not only are Russian airlines banned from many countries, but at this point, planes belonging to Russian airlines can't properly be maintained anymore. Airbus and Boeing both can't directly do business with Russian airlines, meaning that airlines like Aeroflot have, are having to go to the black market for maintenance and parts. For example, this is why Aeroflot recently started sending planes to Iran for maintenance. Uh, independent Russian media outlet Procht published uh, got some of my microphone um, uh, started uh, published a fascinating story about the current state of airlines in Russia and it paints a pretty bleak picture this is especially true of national carrier Aeroflot for example in March of last year Aeroflot sent a memo to flight attendants instructing them to no longer enter data in the cabin logbook about any technical failures or malfunctions rather Flight attendants were told to verbally report any problems to the captain and only make any recordings with the captain's approval. Why? Well, there are some maintenance issues that aren't deferrable, and the airline doesn't want any maintenance issues recorded that could lead to a plane being grounded. Prior to the war and sanctions, flight attendants were told to report all faults in the cabin logbook. Heck, they could get reprimanded if they didn't record these kind of things. And now, the opposite is true. As a senior flight attendant at Aeroflot explained, when the flight issues and disruptions in parts supply arose, an implicit directive was issued. It involved sending a mass email to all senior flight attendants instructing them not to record any breakdowns encountered during flights in the cabin logbook. I think that's explicit, not implicit. Rather to, um, yeah, you're right. It would, it, uh, Liz is making a, uh, an editorial comment. Uh, she thinks they used the wrong word there. Not implicit, but explicit. But uh, anyway. Uh, but rather to verbally communicate the details of the issues and their location. Consequently, in cases where spare parts were unavailable and in order to avoid grounding the plane, the aircraft was allowed to take off with a malfunction, even if it was quite significant. Another Aeroflot employee explained the current situation. The main purpose of such a directive is to prevent aircraft from being grounded due to a malfunction that, on paper, should prevent the aircraft from being operated until it's fixed. Before the war, this rule was strictly followed. Every little malfunction was reported and fixed right away. Uh, some examples of this are given. For example, planes have been allowed to take off without a complete set of oxygen cylinders. <laughs> That's significant. <laughs> uh, furthermore, planes have flown without the lavatory vacuum generator for six months. Ooh when that's something that shouldn't be deferred for more than 10 days. That uh, probably would mean that those lavatories are a little stinky. Um, anyway, um, one of the reasons that aviation is so safe is, safe is because the industry as a whole uses best practices and errors on the side of caution. While airlines cut costs in all kinds of ways, safety isn't one of them. It goes without saying that that's uh, that what's happening in Russia right now doesn't represent best practices and sooner or later this will have consequences so what do you think is this a good plan uh dana no i mean let's just be frank about it i mean something as as they said something significant 
uh, ultimately will happen. And uh, it got a kind of a crappy situation on that airplane that uh, has a vacuum problem with its toilet system. Very crappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, very when I asked the question, uh, if this was a good thing, you your the proper answer would have been, yet. Yet. Oh, yeah, yet. Yeah. Yet. And considering I'm actually 100% Russian, 98.5%. Oh. Really? Uh, in heritage and lineage, yeah. Wow, uh, I didn't so. know that. Yes, uh, I am. So it's an interesting topic. And uh, main man Micah, da, da, we know the engine's on fire. Just don't say anything else. <laughs> yeah, just okay. take Keep off with one yourself. engine. The other one doesn't work. We, it's a spare engine. I mean, why that's why you have anyways? more than one, right? Exactly. Spare engine, right. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think I think this is a terrible, uh, a terrible scenario, and, and somebody somewhere at some point is definitely going to get hurt. I don't, I don't think it ends any other way unless they stop to maintain these aircraft, replacing parts, and of course, uh, you know, there's a whole whole political can of worms we could open up there now, couldn't we? So it's not oh, yeah. to say a whole lot. Yeah. But we won't. No, um, I'm not going to. Yeah. The. Um, uh, I guess you could say, you know, uh, eventually it'll be time to pay the piper. And trust me, I know what yeah, that means. Yeah, pay that piper. Gotta pay her every darn with, week. With a, with a Y, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, our resident, uh, so this is probably something new for you, Dana. Uh, Nick uh, has is now a full-fledged uh, ANP, airframe and power plant mechanic. He just went through all those tests and certified for that uh, not too long ago. So, Congratulations! Certified to be on this show. It's amazing. Yeah, and obviously he's certifiable because he has agreed to uh, <laughs> yeah, be on the show. Out with you guys. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so, what do you think? Our uh, official AMP is this a good maintenance practice? Best practice? Yeah, obviously not. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the thing that I'm curious about is how long uh, the rest of the world um, system allows you know this to happen and. What it'll take, you know, if more and more of these stories come out, will that cause repercussions for Russian airplanes trying to fly into um, other areas, um, other countries? Will it take a few Russian airplanes falling out of the sky due to poor maintenance to cause, you know, people to start being less amenable to having Russian airplanes flying over and in their countries? Um you know, it just, it doesn't seem like this seems egregious, right? Like it's one thing if, if there's a, if there's a gray line that they, they want to kind of straddle, but when they start saying, you know, we're, we need to openly uh, ignore things that we have considered um, relevant or significant practices in the past. I don't understand how um, other countries or, or other, um, aerospace agencies would tolerate that does iata have yeah. any role in this at all um i don't know if iata has a role in this or not liz i'm not sure if they even are part of the international uh, air uh, transport association well i think i think in, in if i believe it to be correct is that each individual country has the authority individually to grant rights to individual airlines to come on into their country. I, I see that with ACME. I, I see all, all of our certificates come across on the iPad uh, as mm -hmm. to, you know, all of our, our authorizations. Um, so I believe that to be true throughout the world, that you have to have authorization to operate in that country. I think it's a little bit concerning that the uh, Russians are taking their some of their airplanes over to Iran 
to be worked on when I thought that Iran was one of those countries that was being embargoed and having they issues are. with getting parts and stuff like that. Yeah, Wait a minute. So how does that make any sense? I don't that uh, I don't understand that at all. They just probably they probably stole the schematics and making the parts. Yeah, uh, you know, black yeah. market parts. Yeah, it uh, it did make me uh, wonder. You know, it talked about or it made a comment about how they're flying mostly Boeing and Airbus airplanes, and uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how this impacts the uh, or how the Chinese aerospace industry impacts this because you know China has been working pretty hard the last couple of decades trying to catch up uh, to the Western uh, aerospace industry and. Uh, they have a few uh, pretty modern um, copies or ripoffs or original designs that are very similar to Western designs, depending on uh, your point of view. Designs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it, you know, this might end up being an opportunity for them to say, um, you know, to find another little market segment that they weren't uh, hmm? initially. Planning on, and you know, it'd just be interesting to see how, because obviously, you know, not getting political, but that that would cause more. That would not help the situation over there. I don't think. I think that would that'd make it worse in terms of the political landscape um, that's going on over there. For sure. I mean, when you think of it, the major players in the world, right? You get the Boeing, you get uh, Airbus. I guess Embraer could kind of factor in there a little bit. They've they're really not doing that well, obviously, with bigger aircraft. Um, and so who do you have left? You really don't have any other manufacturers of aircraft in the Chinese. Not anymore. They're, they're pretty close, but they're, they're not ready, I don't think, yet. They're, they're still several years away from having their aircraft fully capable and ready. I think it's a CS or something like that. Yeah. Is that what they call that? Yeah, the C919, I think, is. C919, yeah. The, right. the 7, 737. Type of airplane, I think. I don't. I don't remember, but I, I do remember the C nine nineteen being one of the one of their airplanes. Is that the one that has the uh, the front uh, nose and cockpit section of the fuselage that looks exactly like um, McDonnell Douglas DC nine slash MD eighty eight slash seven one seven? I don't think so. Or is that a different oh, thing? Yeah. That's a different one. Okay. Yeah. No, um, it's not. And it, well, one of the reasons they say I forgot what designation that yeah that would have been a narrow body that they were they were making uh and they say that one of the reasons why it looks so strikingly similar is that i think at some point when mcdonald douglas was uh in business and and you know cranking out a bunch of fuselages or airplanes uh that uh china was contracted to um make some of these or at least assemble assemble them and right dana i think some of the like one or two of acme's MD-88s, I believe, were actually kind of assembled in China. I, I think somebody told me that was true, but I don't know. Do you know? Uh, well, China Eastern used to fly, you know, use the MD-90s over mm-hmm. there, and we used to do all their training. Okay. So I don't know if, uh, you know, when McDonnell Douglas existed, whether uh, the aircraft were assembled over in China. Yeah, I think there were just a it, was, it was just a couple of them, I think, and then then everything got shut down. But again, take that uh, with a grain of salt. And of course, we're always striving to hit that 50% accuracy uh, here at the uh, <laughs> Well, now APG. that I'm here, it's not 25. Oh, no, 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 no. Now you got us way above 50% now, Dan. <laughs> there we go. There's our 50, 50% guarantee right there. Hello, Radio Roger in our live audience. 
who uh, he's the guy at the beginning of the show. Of course, everybody knows uh, that does our intro. And he was wondering if uh, we got the uh, voiceover and just, you know, not too, um, not too much before we started our show, we received it, we got it done. And, uh, and you, you were uh, introducing today's show. So thank you very much, Radio Roger, for all your hard work and, and uh, getting to getting it to us uh, in time for the show. We, we really appreciate that. Okay, uh, let's continue on now uh, with this next item. And this is from the Aviation Herald, uh, avherald.com. And uh, it is, uh, let's see, a Terra Air de Havilland DHC. Uh, what is this? This is a show about uh, twin otters. DHC 6300 twin otter registration 9 November Alpha Echo Tango. was performing a flight from Pokhara to... Jomson, I don't know, Nepal, with 19 passengers, three crew, was en route at 13,000 feet, uh, about 16 nautical miles south of Jomson, uh, about to enter the valley for the approach into Jomson near Leet Pass or Lete Pass, when the aircraft disappeared from radar. A search, including two helicopters, was underway, but hampered by poor visibility in the area near Leyte, Nepal where the aircraft is assumed to have crashed. And then they found the aircraft at uh, well, uh, some uh, lat long um, designation coordinates at 14,500 feet mean sea level. And there were no survivors. They got some tall mountains in that area of the world. Uh, the uh, CAA Nepal reported on May 29th. Uh, la- wait, how can that be? Was this... Um, Oh, that was last year. Okay. I'm <laughs> thinking, wait a minute. Are we in the future? Um, that uh, last year, May 29th, that um, the aircraft had been near Gode Pani, uh, according to ADSB data, the aircraft overflew. Did you just pick this out, uh, Liz, because of all these uh, things I was going to have to pronounce? Thank you. Um <laughs> And uh, overflew the village at 420Z, began to turn north over the village, approaching Lete Pass. No further contact occurred. Uh, the uh, airplane carried 13 Nepalese, four Indian, and two German citizens, plus three crew members. Uh, later that day, the CAA reported that an ELT had been located near Kaibang, or a, a signal from the ELT. Um, Anyway, uh, it goes into some detail about uh, how they figured that out. Locals reported the aircraft flew two circles near Kabang (laughs) in the morning. uh, I'm sure that's not the way you pronounce that. In the morning of May 30th of last year, rescue teams reached the crash site at 14,500 feet uh, mean sea level. And for those of you who are into meters, that's 4,400 meters above sea level on Sanoswar Bir cliff okay that's enough um <laughs> places over in nepal uh let's see they uh recovered all the bottom okay let's go down to the final report thank you uh the probable cause of the accident was a pot okay so they came out with the uh final report um probable cause was the flight crew's failure to monitor and maintain the proper course while inadvertently flying into imc conditions with the aircraft terrain avoidance and warning system taws inhibited, which resulted in a CFIT, which is controlled flight into terrain accident. Contributed factors, the flight crew's failure to follow the standard operating procedures of the company, 
The aircraft flight operation with TAWS inhibited during deteriorating en route weather conditions. Loss of situational awareness of the crew. Deteriorating en route weather. Less experienced co-pilot for that sector and high crew gradient. I think we've talked about that before. I've heard that term used. High crew gradient. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Do you all have any idea? I don't know. I've never heard that term. Ever. Yeah, the only thing that I thought of was, uh, you know, it talks about the PIC or the pilot flying doing all the work, mm. and it talks about a inexperienced co-pilot. So I wonder if that just meant there's one pilot that's significantly more proficient or gotcha, better. Uh, but I don't know. That was okay. just a, that. That sounds reasonable to me. Poor CRM, uh, cockpit resource management or crew resource management during the flight, and as Nick just mentioned uh, the whole, all the cockpit duties were basically being undertaken by the pilot in command. Well, that's the way it always is. Uh, when yeah, well, that's the way it is when, I, yeah, when I'm flying. Yeah, I do everything. Don't touch anything. Just sit on your hands. <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> no, I know the, the truth. Actually, the opposite. the opposite. I'll go. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, not getting away with that today, Jeff. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely worthless, so help me. Please help me. I need help. Um Anyway, and under a utilization of the available nav instruments. Okay. So, and it, it goes on to talk about the series of events. And, yeah, the weather was not very good, Scotia. And uh, they went ahead and decided to perform the flight anyway. And uh, that was obviously a poor decision, uh, especially based on the, the high crew gradient um, that existed there with, uh, between the captain or the pilot in command and the second in command. Um, thoughts. Cumulative granite doesn't usually work out very well. Mm, no, yeah. not at yeah. all. Yeah. It's not forgiving at all. No, nope. you can sad. fly into a cloud, but and generally you fly out of it, but, uh, you can fly into cumulative granite doesn't normally work out very well. Nope. And when you are flying into those clouds and you see a mountain goat above you in the cloud. That's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So does, uh, does TAWS inhibited, does that just mean they've turned it off or does that mean that it possibly wasn't functioning or they turned it off? I don't know. I, it seems to me that they're kind of indicating or implying that they turned it off. Yeah. I, you know, cause it was probably a nuisance thing. If, if you're in visual condition, there are some places like Paro uh, where they actually have to turn those kind of systems off, enhanced ground proximity warning systems off, because in order to, for them to fly through that valley and get to the airport, uh, the thing would be just blaring, you know, terrain, terrain, pull up, pull up, all the way in. And so part of their standard operating procedure there is to turn it off. So I'm thinking maybe that's the same sort of thing that happened here. But as soon as they got into IMC, that's when they should have said, you know, maybe we should turn that thing back on uh, because we can't see yeah. the cumulogranite, as uh, Dana yeah. just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it, the reality is, is you have to have certain procedures and follow those procedures to be able to operate into high terrain and mountainous terrain. So once once you start clipping those procedures, then obviously it becomes a much higher threat environment, which in this case didn't work out well. Not. for anybody on the aircraft but uh, yeah. you know that's why policies and procedures are put into place and uh, obviously i think there's there's some some uh, lack of uh, lack of uh, thought process here uh, definitely on on the PIC 
and uh, maybe you know with the steep as they say the the gradient between the, the experience maybe the first officer just didn't have enough experience or understanding of what their role was to be able to speak up right oh yeah that's a that's a that's a definitely a thing you know when you're brand new that co-pilotitis yeah. i think is uh, the term that's sometimes used uh it's a real thing you know you you're going well what do i know you know this guy's got all kinds of experience and hours and I just started. So this doesn't feel right, but maybe, maybe this is okay. You know, yeah. And, not- and, and, and part of it is, is cultural too. I mean, yeah. cultures throughout the world. I mean, you look at the Asian culture, it's been hard, a hard fought road to, you know, have captains listen to their first officers, mm-hmm. which has, which, you know, we know has led to some uh, past incident incidences. Yep. Absolutely. All right, good points. Well, let's move on to this next item from, let's see, this is uh, from flightglobal.com. I was going everywhere. And uh, yeah, thank you, Liz. Uh, Our producer did a great job in pulling from all kinds of resources for our show today. Uh, Portuguese carrier TAP is not relieved of its obligation to compensate passengers for a flight canceled after the death of a pilot, European judges have ruled. The first officer of the Stuttgart-Lisbon service on 17 July 2019 was found deceased in his hotel room about two hours before the scheduled departure, and in response, the whole crew declared itself unfit to fly. But this meant that the flight had to be canceled because a replacement crew was unavailable locally, and a new crew had to be flown out from Lisbon. Passengers were reallocated to a flight which left about 10 hours after the original planned service. While German local and regional courts held TAP liable for compensation, a Dutch court had separately held that unexpected crew illness amounted to an event beyond the airline's control. Staff absence arriving from illness or death, the court ruled, is not an extraordinary circumstance. But the European Court of Justice has ruled that despite the tragic circumstances, the carrier is not exempt from its responsibility to pay compensation. It says the death of a crew member, like an unexpected illness, is not an extraordinary situation as defined by compensation legislation. So that's the the key, I guess. I mean, it is uh, an extraordinary situation, especially for the person that passed away. <laughs> but uh, but the strictly uh, legal, you know, yeah. definition of the compensation legislation, uh, they determined that. Yeah, uh, sorry, but you're not exempt. You have to. You got to pay up. So. Um, I don't know. What do, you, what do y'all think? I know we're not lawyers, but what Dana or maybe Dana, did you get your law degree since uh, you've been on the show? Probably. Yes, not. I have. Oh, wow. Fact. Oh, well, yeah. I'm learning all kinds of new Doctorate, things. Doctorate, law degree, you know, <laughs> yeah. psycho- psychologist, psychiatry. Uh-huh. I'm okay. even a veterinarian now. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> you have been a busy man. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that law and that's what they're trying to kind of institute here in the United States is uh, if it's interpreted that way, uh, Mm -hmm. that is really, I have to say one word. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. Somebody drops, pays, you know, just drops dead Mm -hmm. and the airline has to compensate because of an inconvenience. But they only flew 10 hours late. Like it wasn't really Are you kidding me? And Liz is making the point, good one, I think, that they were on a flight 10 hours after this, not even half a 24-hour period, and uh, they the flight was completed. And um, 
I don't know. Maybe we're talking, you know, the compensation that we're talking about here, maybe is really not that much. Um, I was surprised when we talked about the, uh, the legend or the, uh, the court, uh, the trial, uh, in, uh, the case of the, um, Air France, um, for, Four four seven. Four four seven. Um, and how if the if Airbus and Air France had been guilty, uh, they would have only faced like two hundred something thousand euros each total. Yeah. And I was thinking, well that must be per passenger. Nope, nope, that's in that's total. And I'm thinking, so maybe this compensation thing that we're talking about here is really not that big of a deal. I don't know. It's still money being yeah. paid. It's a, it's a principle. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some type of exceptions and in, 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 in use common sense. Well, no, no, don't go that far, Dana. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm on the wrong show. Yeah, no kidding. If we're talking aviation and common sense, that, that doesn't necessarily always go together yeah, when you start talking sense, lawyers. Common sense uh, does, not, does not work yeah. around. It's not common around here. Yeah. Well, it, it's not necessarily the show as much as the lawyers in aviation. Yeah, true. But we love the lawyers. I just want to make sure that I have that on the record. <laughs> sure. We love the lawyers. Uh, because, you know, dot your eyes. Without them, though, you know, this world would be a different place. And I'm not saying it would be better. Um, it could be worse. So um, let's. And I, I'm sure, though, that all of the lawyers that listen to our show are the good ones. Right? Absolutely. Um, so I'm not going to answer that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's. Con- <laughs> this is another fresh incident that uh, we don't have a lot of information about yet. Um, and this the is translation from, is pretty. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, from ndr.de. So it's a German publication. And obviously, there may be some issues with the translation from the German to English. And you'll see why here in a minute. At the Bundeswehr. Airfield in Holm, uh, there was a serious accident with one plane and two dead on Monday afternoon. Salvaged records should provide more information about what happened. The investigations are still in the early stages. Three employees of the Federal Office for Aircraft Accident Investigation were in scorn and analyzed the crash site, spoke to <laughs> witnesses, and took photos. They also recovered the two recorders that are installed in every large aircraft. And I'm thinking to myself, why would they be in scorn? That's an interesting way to put, you know, because scorn from the uh, Oxford uh, Dictionary is the feeling or belief that someone or something is worthless or despicable, contempt. And I'm thinking, that's kind of unusual. We hate that crash. We hate for, it. Yeah, they're, they're, I hate this crash. Um, but uh, it turns out that as I read on, turns scorn is actually a location. And in this uh, narrative, they should have capitalized uh, scorn because Imagine that's where they were the investigation they were in scorn germany i guess and they analyzed the crash site spoke to witnesses and took photos they also reco- recovered two recorders that are installed in every large aircraft uh, the recovered recorders the flight data recorder and a voice recorder which records the flight flight data and the voices of the pilots are now being examined in Braunschweig. Braunschweig. And it is being checked whether they can be evaluated at all because the fire on the plane could damage the data or make it unusable. However, if the data is usable, it can take months to evaluate it. 
The data could then be used to reconstruct the crash and identify the cause of the... Okay, this is like, okay, we know this stuff. I guess this is for the general public. They're putting this out so they understand what's going on. Um, On Monday around 1 p.m., a loud bang was heard in Hone. A listener reported to NDR... Just just clear your throat. Easy for you to say. No, it's not. Wait a minute. Uh, Then... Or actually, I think I got it right. The Federal Bureau of the Aircraft Accident Investigation, the BFU, an accident involving a um, an accident involving a civilian uh, Learjet 35 Alpha, occurred on the site of the airfield in the town. And let's see, Learjets are smaller machines and therefore often used for target display by the Luftwaffe, in which the Bundeswehr. Units practice air defense at sea and on land together with the Society of Flight Target Display. Their parent company, Airbus, wrote in a statement on Twitter that the machine should have flown from home to trans training mission to a training mission with air traffic controllers from the German Air Force in northern Germany. They announced that the accident had already occurred at the start within the airbase. Okay, in other words, it uh, the the issue happened shortly after takeoff or during takeoff, and then it crashed within the boundaries of the base. Uh, The machine lost height during the start phase and hit the ground. A 58-year-old and a 62-year-old, the pilots of the plane, died in the accident. Uh, Let's see. Anything else? No. That's about all we know, I think. Yeah, that's all we know for now. Hopefully, we'll get an update on this, what happened to this uh, Learjet. Obviously, something major, significant happened. And uh, it crashed and didn't get too far off the ground before crashing. Was there yeah. a movie called Children of the Scorn? Was there a movie called <laughs> Children of the Scorn? Could be. I don't remember. Or, or was that Scone? Children of oh, the Scone. Yeah, maybe. There are people that <laughs> really enjoy those uh, nice pastries. Would, would that be considered a pastry, though? Yeah. A Scone? Yeah. 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 yeah I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Next. Oh, good. They're we have good. something from uh, Paddle Your Own Canoe. I know. I yeah, can't leave him out. What's uh, what's a show without uh, something from Paddle? Too bad Your Steph own and or Nick aren't here. Yeah, too bad Steph or and or uh, Captain uh, Anderson aren't here because this involves medicine and Virgin Atlantic Airways. Um, so this is from. Uh, oh, I already said that. Uh, did you? Know that Virgin Atlantic is the only airline in the UK with the ability to carry out an ECG at 38,000 feet. In fact, the Richard Branson Link Company has had entirely ECG-equipped aircraft fleet since the early 2000s, although the carrier recently upgraded its kit with the world's smallest and lightest mobile ECG kit after its previous supplier discontinued development. Now, hang on. I've seen those commercials on TV where there's like a little thing yeah, that that's smaller thing. than your, yeah, cardio, cardio mobile or something like that, mm-hmm, yep. where you can just put your fingers on it. And that's maybe not quite as sophisticated an ECG as this device is, of course, but it's smaller. I mean, maybe they didn't know about this, that device. Anyway, um, the carrier uh, recently upgraded uh, the ability to carry out a full 12 lead ECG. What's that? Electrocardiograph? Is that what that stands yes, for? correct. While flying in a metal tube at speeds of 650 miles per hour is pretty advanced stuff, but it's not without good reason. Cardiovascular emergencies are by far the single most common cause of a disrupt- disruptive, costly, and perhaps even unnecessary medical diversion. That's where the ECG kit from German medical tech provider 
Cardio Secure comes into play, weighing just 50 grams. That is pretty light. Its plug-and-play mobile ECG solution can carry out a full 12-lead ECG through an iPad and then transmit the results over the plane Wi-Fi to medical experts on the ground. Cabin crew need minimal training to carry out an ECG using the Cardio Secure platform. And to make the process even easier, the ECG requires just four pickup points on the body. Virgin Atlantic allows the lead of, follows the lead of German flag carrier Lufthansa, which rolled out the Cardio Secure platform across its long-haul fleet in 2019. Sounds like a um, uh, an advertisement here for Cardio Secure. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that's what so. I'm thinking. Um, anyway, uh, that's cool. Um, yeah. It's important to have uh, these things on board to kind of analyze people that might have some um, cardiopulmonary issues. But are issues. they going to have EpiPens on board? EpiPens? Well, that's another uh, thing yeah. entirely, I guess. Um, also... I thought when I was first reading this article that they were talking about um, automated external defibrillators, yeah. AEDs, but nope, it's just the thing that kind of does the graphing of what what your heart's doing. So many acronyms, man. I know. So many acronyms. When are they, they going to play the ECG <laughs> on the IFE? Uh, the ECG on the IFE, and uh, I don't know, but we're going to cover it on APG, that's for sure. <laughs> ASAP. Uh, okay. <laughs> Anything to add, uh, NC? No, I don't think so. Um, I well, our resident I did doctor. Interesting. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that they, you know, they almost pitched it when they said, you know, we're going to be able to transmit this information to uh, a service or whatever, and they can analyze it and determine if the airline has to uh, deviate or continue on. I thought that's. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it seems like if you're at We're the point to where you have to our do an EKG, um, I would rather just have the airplane precautionarily land. But right, I guess if we have the technology, take advantage of it. I suppose. Yep. Um, main man Micah says they need most of those ECGs in first class. Um, somebody looks at the price of the ticket and they have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably noticed that before they they. Oh, I'm sorry. Before they arrived for the flight. This next um, one is special. All right. So the next item in our new segment is, oh, I need to load the video. This is good. Yes. This is great. Um, so let me do that. And while you guys uh, provide some small talk in the background, some vamping. Uh, you can sing if you'd like. Well, um, oh, yeah, I can't sing. I've got my little girl on my lap right now. Oh, <laughs> okay. Gonna... She's, she's a little... She's a little just a little, uh, I guess, what's this word? Little dog. Uh, she's a little, well, yeah. For a baby? <laughs> he caught himself. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but she's, uh-huh. a little, she's a little groggy because she just had her uh, her teeth cleaned. Ah. So she's, oh. Julie just got home. She's recovering. She's, uh, she she's a little well, mad at her daddy. Liz, Liz is saying that uh, it's most likely because you were you needed a um, a support animal before you came on the APG. Just to kind of, I do, and I I do. I went online and I registered it, mm-hmm. and uh, she is right there with me to make sure I'm okay. Okay, well, so are y'all ready to see this? Um, Nobody's <laughs> ever ready for this. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tell you what, Liz, uh, when I start talking, uh, reading this article, you can uh, play it. I turned the volume down on it because 
the TikTok video is just like some dude just laughing the whole yeah, time. Okay. And it's really obnoxious. You, you start reading, I'll play it. Okay. Um, so here we go. This is from arrowtime.arrow. Um, let's see. A passenger uses cling wrap to create a business class seat. And we all have our trusty travel hacks to make flights a little more comfortable. However, one passenger seems to have taken a cling wrap hack to the extreme. A female passenger was filmed using cling wrap to build a fortress around three economy seats. The now viral video with 3.8 million views on TikTok shows the passenger determinedly enclosing the space of three economy seats, which she presumably booked using a roll of cling wrap. Later on, a flight attendant approached her and started to undo the passenger's DIY business class seat. The passenger appeared to be distressed, asking the flight attendant repeatedly, where are the rules? When she was told that what she had done was not permitted, the video ends with the flight attendant showing much patience and constraint as he methodically removed the cling wrap amidst the passenger's rants. Although the video has been shared and viewed millions of times, its authenticity is still unclear. Uploaded on May 18, 2023, it discloses no details of the flight, such as the airline or the destination of the flight. There also seems to be only three other passengers on the flight, including the unseen and unnamed owner of the video who was filming. Some comments claim that it might have been a customer service training for flight attendants. Given the bizarre antics of real-life passengers these days, it would not be too surprising if the cling wrap-loving passenger is indeed one of the customer service exercises presented to uh, flight attendants. Um, and also, I think when we were starting to run this TikTok video, there are some um, some comments made over overlying the video, and they're they're saying that they think that this was an, a reenactment or a, a dramatization of a real thing that happened. So I guess we have to take the TikTokers uh, word for it, but it is quite amusing to see <laughs> this <laughs> right now. We're looking at her. She's on her back, sticking her, her, her legs through, through a hole <laughs> in the roof <laughs> of her, of her little fort. Bye bye little house. <laughs> yeah. And now the flight attendant, the male flight attendant is coming in there and saying, no, 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 no. You, you can't do that. No can do. Oh, what are the rules? What are the rules? Show me the rules. <laughs> I, I think TSA might be in people bringing cling wrap to oh, you're probably the right. uh, security now. Although they could probably deem the the cut strip on the cling wrap as a oh yeah, there's no way they threat. can get through uh, security with that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the uh, Roger uh, Radio Roger says the cling wrap kept the seats fresh. Ah, good point. There's a, always a silver lining or a cling wrap lining to uh, the story um wow it's uh it's pretty amazing i did i did think to myself when i first saw this posted online and in the in the, the social meds uh, are you are you kidding me but it was believable that that somebody would actually yeah, be doing absolutely. this and so again they purportedly this really did happen but this video here is just reenactment. a reenactment apparently but we love it we do love it Yes, we do love our wacky passenger news, don't we? We do. All right, let's uh, continue. We, we never have any wacky passengers. No, no. Never. 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 Okay, mm -hmm. let's see. We're going to remove this from the studio, and I'm going to load up another one. And, I like uh, this one. Here we go. This is, uh, yeah, This I know why you like this, Liz. 
Yeah, it's from, from Canada. Above the Watching the crew Belle of the Isle. International Ice Patrol at work, spotting icebergs from an airplane, it looks like one of the coolest jobs in the world. Cool, Gavin. Oh, oh, that's funny. Cool ice. And it is. <laughs> What's the coolest part of this job? The ice. Uh, you're on it right now, the flying. Absolutely. Oh. I think that would be easy, right? The flying. The flying is the best part. You get to be up here, see Newfoundland, see the coasts, see the, the waters and the icebergs around it. Seeing new things. I'm from Florida, so seeing oh. all this, you know, ice and snow, it's it's a lot different. How did it feel the first time you came up from Florida and saw this? Uh, I was excited. I, I, I like the cold, actually, so it's a lot different from the beach, I'll tell you that. Wait a minute. I thought this was a Canadian crew, but this is the no, U.S. Coast Guard. No, it's an American oh, crew. but it's only the sea. Uh, yeah. Okay. Only a handful of people get to see this with their own eyes. But this crew may be among the last. The U.S. Coast Guard is winding down these flights. The International Ice Patrol may soon be grounded. So satellite imagery is our, our new primary tool. We can get large areas of coverage with satellite images. We're towards the end of the era of aviation, of the aviation mission. And uh, soon the satellites will be doing all of the work. All right. And it goes into a little bit more detail. That's um, the history of why it started. The history of uh, why and how it started, I guess. Right and, after uh, the Titanic. Right after the uh, Titanic hit a, uh, we've never heard of that, Titanic hitting an iceberg. I mm. know. Yeah. It's foreign to me. Anyway, great uh, video, great report from the Canadian Broadcast uh, Company. Is that a corporation, I guess? Corporation, broadcasting CBC. corporation. And um, it's uh, some beautiful uh, footage of icebergs and uh, other stuff. Uh, so check it out. And uh, I see you found an iceberg I picture. Did. I nice. love it. I love icebergs. Do you? I mean, yeah. well, you're living in Toronto. Um, so do you, like when you're driving around, do you have to sometimes go around these things that are in the yeah, road? And polar bears and igloos. And polar and stuff, bears yeah. and igloos. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, we have such a fun imagination, don't we? Last news item finally coming up. Okay. Last news item coming up. Oh, I, I, please tell uh, Julie I said hello. And and where's my drink? Well, I'm not drinking, but she just gave me this. She bought this for, I don't know, for herself. Uh-huh. But she has this Modelo Chilada, lemon, and salt. Mm -hmm. It's yummy. I can tell by the expression on your face. You don't like it. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> it's terrible. I have nothing to wash it down with but water. It was terrible. Oh, oh, that's so sweet of her. But to get uh, to everybody you. says yeah. hello. Aww. Yeah. All right. Um, Sorry about that. I, no, I'm the one that mentioned it. I just I, I saw Julie in the background and I was waving, but she didn't see me. Um. All right, moving on with our last item in the news. Yay. Follow-up from the previous uh, This is a follow-up um, story. Uh, let's see. After declaring bankruptcy in April, the U.S. company Virgin Orbit, uh, specialized in the launch of satellites, recently announced that it had entered into uh, – they specialized in the launch of satellites, which wasn't very successful – recently mm -hmm. announced that it had entered into an agreement with the U.S. space company Strato Launch Systems, founded by billionaire Paul Allen – 
for the acquisition of aviation activities, including the modified Boeing 747 Cosmic Girl transport aircraft. The value of the deal is approximately $17 million. The deal, technically called a a stocking horse, consists of an initial offer that other bidders interested in buying Virgin Orbit can improve on if they want to buy the company. The deadline for submitting proposals is 19 May. Ah, shoot. We've already passed the deadline. So if you are out there, dear listener, thinking about maybe... You know, we submitting could have a used proposal. That for his coffee fund fundraising. We could have used the coffee fund, but we don't quite have seventeen million dollars. <laughs> now, you know, when you think about it, seventeen million. I mean, what what's a, a, like a used seven forty seven's got to be Rick more than that, that, right? I mean, a new seven forty seven. Well, I guess they already built the last one, didn't they? But I bet it was a lot more than seventeen million. Yeah. Okay. In, interestingly enough, uh, since we mentioned that, there is one active L-1011 left in the world. It's actually two flyable, but there's only one L-1011 left in the world. Is that the airborne being, telescope thing? Uh, it's Northrop Grumman is using it for the space system. They've been huh. launching uh, rockets off of that, oh. you know, or satellites, I think, oh. um, off of that platform. So. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, what a great! I know that you have a love for the L ten eleven TriStar as I do, uh, Dana. So mm, um, I like it. Yeah. See, I'm gonna put this up here. Ah. <laughs> yep. End of an era. The uh, Acme and then L ten eleven. And then right next to it, get that. See. Uh, what is that? I can't really. S- oh, uh, an eighty eight right below it. Yep. And another yep. end of an era. All right. Well, is it time now, Liz? It is time, Jeff. Okay, here we go. Da-da-da-da. Getting to know all about us. Getting to like us. Or hoping that well, you'll like us, like us too. too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the my favorite part of the show, because I really enjoy being with my friends and learning about what they have been doing between shows and uh, now Dana before we have Dana tell us what he has been doing between shows he's been doing yeah. a lot uh, just so a little bit. Um, we're gonna talk with uh, Nick just in case that you know if you need to go at some point you know uh, you, you'll be cleared cleared to exit but uh, tell us uh, you departure. haven't been on the show for a while uh, what what have you been up to? I, I suppose very very busy with your work. Yep, been pretty busy with work. Um, uh, been troubleshooting an issue with my airplane, so um, haven't been flying as much as I'd like. Uh, we're still kind of looking through, um, getting some uh, funny. Uh, my engine's acting a little funny, so we've been uh, digging into that a little bit <laughs> and trying to figure out what's going on there. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's uh, not. Uh, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, it's not a laughing matter, according oh, to sorry. my wife, in terms of our finances. But uh, you know, it's a. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, we are, uh, like I said, still haven't figured it out. I think we'll get a bunch more work done this weekend, this long weekend in the states. And uh, hopefully have a uh, 
path forward here to figure out uh, if I'm going to be flying anytime soon. Oh, that's so. not good. I mean, it ain't, you know, that, that airplane ain't no. The Lockheed TriStar. You know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Which would be really unaffordable. <laughs> right. Right. Um, um, but yeah, other than that, um, just finished wrapping up school. The kids' last day of school was Tuesday, so transitioning into uh, summertime summertime, uh, lifestyle for them. So Mm -hmm. yeah, getting, getting resettled with that. Excellent. Yep. All right. Well, we've missed you and um, thanks for getting us caught up with what, what's been happening with you, your project at work or projects at work still occupying a lot of your time as well. Yep. Yeah. We've got two different, um, tests happening uh kind of middle to end of june that have been uh significant uh, efforts so we're pushing towards those and good i'm making good progress excellent yep. all right now i will uh i'll go next because then we want to spend the uh the balance the of, of the time uh yeah pretty much the rest of the show maybe i don't know uh but uh uh, with Dana. So let me go over here and uh, where'd I go? Do you want to work these slides or do you want me to? Um, yeah, I can work the slides. Okay. I think. Uh, but the first thing I want to do is um, set this up. Um, so, and I may, again, I, I haven't, I didn't really listen to this whole recording that I made. And so I may end up repeating some of the things as I do. Um, but, uh, I think you heard us mentioning and uh, promoting a meetup in Charlotte in the last couple of episodes, uh, Carlos, uh, the, uh, the, the, the big man in charge over there, uh, the, uh, guy that founded the plain talking UK podcast, uh, PTUK, uh, flew over from England to, uh, America to, to Charlotte to be exact and uh, to kind of meet up with uh, Armando, one of his um, co-hosts, uh, the American correspondent, I guess, and uh, and his family. And uh, and then, of course, Steph lives in the area. Dr. Steph lives in the area as well. And so they were billing this as a PTUK slash APG meetup. And I thought, you know what? If I can swing it, I'd like to attend as well. And uh, you know, it gives me an excuse to see Carlos. And so I, uh, Wade, well, Steph, no, I see Steph all the time. Um, and, uh, so I weighed whether or not to fly over or drive. And honestly, from here, first of all, I like driving. I really do enjoy driving. Number two, if I drive from my house in Roswell to the airport, park the car, get in there, go through security, go to the gate, you know, you got to be there what, you know, an hour or so before the flight departs, uh, if you're staff five minutes before the flight departs, um, but a little bit more time for most of us. And, uh, then you've the flight over a lot of times as Dana can, um, you know, agree upon is the fact that going from Atlanta to Charlotte sometimes, um, involves, uh, hanging around for wheels up times and stuff to try to sequence in sequence you in the flow traffic of traffic flow. between the big, uh, hubs of, uh, various airlines. And, and then by the time, then I get there sometimes, sometimes like all the times, right? Yes. Pretty much all the time. I call Charlotte the LaGuardia of the South. 
Yeah. There's yeah. always delays going to Hawaii. And there, in so many ways, it, not only that, but uh, one of the things that I cannot stand about, about LaGuardia, and I haven't had to experience it in quite some time, I don't mind flying in and out of there. It's the, Once you're on the ground, it's maddening and frustrating. And it's the same for me at Charlotte. It's maddening and frustrating the way they manage traffic uh, at the Charlotte airport, not only air traffic control, but also the American Airlines um, ramp control people are just like, oh, anyway. And Does then, of course, Airlines we have to deal with the ACME uh, ground crews that are not the best in the ACME system. <laughs> I think you'd agree with me, Dana, right? I, and I would. And I have to tell you something, Jeff. After not flying to LaGuardia for better part of six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is almost a whole new world up there. Oh, really? Well, I knew the terminals were different, but they improved the uh, air traffic control services as well. It, 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 it's where, I mean, I don't know if they have less, um, you know, metal going in and out of there Mm -hmm. or what has changed, but I, you know, I've been in and out of there quite a bit, especially now that I'm on the, uh, the yellow bus. Um, we go in there almost exclusively. And uh, the operation, I haven't run into a hiccup. I mean, I haven't been up there for a major weather event yet, mm-hmm. but I haven't run into any major hiccups there. It's That's really surprising. Yeah. It, so. Was was LaGuardia one of the airports in the New York uh, area that uh, JetBlue and some of the other airlines agreed to cut back like 10% of their, uh, of their flights or something to help out with uh, traffic issues and stuff. I'm, I'm wondering if that might be part it of it. I believe it is all the airports up in all the New York airspace okay. for the big three airports up there. Uh, I think all three of them have been agreed upon to cut back for this summer. Okay. Well, so. that must be the uh, the fruit of that, um, you know, of, of that uh, decision. Um, so I'm glad that the airlines are cooperating and trying to make it a little bit better for everybody. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um but, um, so again, so you, you see what I'm saying? It, it would probably take about as much time for me to fly over there as it would to be, to just get in my car and just start driving. And then I have my car there because, you know, if I flew in, then I'd have to get a rental car and all that kind of stuff. So th- I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to get in the car and head over there just right under a four hour drive, uh, which again, as I said, I like driving and it was a, a pretty pleasant drive on Friday uh, morning. Um, now, I was contacted by Matt Smith, the um, one of the co-hosts of the PTUK, the tech guy that runs all the, the board and the video, and you know he, he's doing all that magic. Um, he contacted me and said, hey, would you be available to be a co-host on the show? And I went, well, if I get to Charlotte early enough and I have a place to set up, I'll bring some of the podcasting gear, and I would love to uh, help out because the uh, meetup wasn't scheduled until 6 o'clock. Friday night because uh, Carlos wasn't getting in until, you know, about that time. So, uh, I was able to check in, um, just in time to my hotel room, uh, in Charlotte to uh, set up the gear. And, uh, I joined Matt for a very enjoyable couple of hours on their show PTUK. And then after that, um, headed over to the, uh, the brewery, the Noda brewery. And, uh, so I, took or I uh, recorded some audio so let's take a listen <laughs> well dr stuff i'm sorry i'm a little distracted dr stuff is stroking my muff 
So, hey, we're at the uh, Noda Brewing Company North End where Steph is stroking my muff. And uh, it's a very special moment. Anyway, uh, we're here with some some people. <laughs> uh, especially uh, our, our guest of honor, Carlos, has flown all the way over to London just to get some barbecue. What? From London. No, I said from London. Didn't I? I think you said from London. No, I... Stop! <laughs> Check on that. Okay, well, if I said to London, I meant from London. And, uh, but I think I said it right. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll find out later. Uh, we're here because Carlos is the, 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 the big cheese from the uh, PTUK, uh, the PTUK meetup in Charlotte, North Carolina. He just flew in from London to uh, eat some awesome barbecue and drink some awesome beer from the Noda Brewing Company, North End. So, Carlos, please address the audience. Why, thank you, Jeff. And uh, thank you for uh, welcoming me to this amazing brewery here, the Noda. No, Noda? Noda? Noda Brewery. Yeah, really good. Good beer and also good barbecue, as recommended by uh, Captain Jeff from the local barbecue van outside. So I am fully watered, fully fed, and uh, no, not jet lagged at all even though I literally hopped off a plane no more than probably, what, three hours ago. But uh, lovely to see everyone. Obviously be back in the company of family, extended family. So, yeah, great to see everyone. And, um, yeah, thanks for treating me to, uh, to dinner, Jeff. That was very kind of you. Very, very tasty indeed. But, no, great beers, and uh, it's great to be back here in the US to see everyone so um, but I'm it's not just me here there is uh, another member of the PTUK hosting family here and it's my host for uh, for the week here so Armando uh, thanks Carlos uh, for the record we're almost two hours into this we're about 12 beers into this um, really interesting how sh uh, Carlos showed up to Charlotte the Queen City with a crown on his head uh, trying to convince everybody something about a coronation. Uh, but you know what? Everybody here at the brewery is believing it. He is something of royalty. Uh, the accent goes a long way in getting a larger barbecue plate. Um, but yeah, we're uh, welcoming Carlos and uh, Jeff and Steph. And we've got some listeners to the show that are actually uh, here joining us tonight. I'm just happy to be here. Always happy to see Jeff's mustache. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you why. All right, we have someone else over here that you may have heard of. She's a doctor, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur. I can't remember to say that while I'm recording the show, but I can remember it now. That's weird. Okay, here, here's Dr. Stepp. But yet it flows so smoothly when you're here after several beers. That's really how we just need to start the show each week. Several beers already before we start. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm here. I'm happy to be here and happy to be here with Jeff's muff. Not the mustache, but the muff. Yes. It's majestic. Um, <laughs> and obviously happy to be here with Armando and Carlos and our special guests of honor who are our listeners who we will introduce momentarily. 
Um, always great to be here in Noda, a pilot-owned brewery here in Charlotte, which is fantastic. Um, amazing beers. If you're ever here in the Charlotte area, please stop by and give them a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And if you are, I will reimburse you for your beers. So that's, yeah, for sure. I That's money well spent, in my opinion. So anyway, great to see everybody. Happy to have Carlos here back in the U.S., on U.S. soil again. Uh, we're going to have a good week this week, I think. And uh, I'll talk to you all again real soon. Passing it on. Uh, let's start with some uh, listeners here. I'm going to hand the mic over. Uh, Malcolm here. Uh, it's great to be here. I uh, very fortuitously saw the post on Facebook yesterday and decided kind of on a, on a, a whim, sort of just come down and join. And I'm very glad I did. It's uh, been a fun time and a, a great conversation. So it's good to be here. All the way from Virginia, he came. And uh, like a whole state away. So that's very impressive. Nice to see you again. Malcolm ha- joined us many, many years ago for a meetup. We had a fly-in, drive-in meetup in Toccoa, Georgia. And uh, I flew in with Mike Carroll's on, in his uh, Beechcraft Musketeer. And uh, scared the heck out of me. Anyway, uh, gr- great to see you again, Malcolm. And uh, we also have another person who... Uh, the first thing that he said to me was, um, I, I'm looking for Armando, and I'm not sure why I'm here. I mean, that's literally what he said to me. So here, I'm going to pass the uh, mic to him. I think by now he may know why he's here. Maybe not. We'll see. Hello, everybody. It's not that I don't know why I'm here. It's that Armando make me be here. That's, that's different. That's a huge difference. It's like my boss telling me where to be on a Friday night for a podcast that I'm a big fan of it. So thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very glad to be part of the table. Um, I'm going to continue in Spanish. Soy el piloto de, de menor horas acá, pero estoy aprendiendo un montón de cada uno de ellos. No solo de cómo volar, sino de cómo ser un ser humano afuera del del aeropuerto y eso es más interesante aún muchas gracias por compartir conmigo por estar acá por dejarme entenderlos entender cómo es la aviación y, y estar con las grandes ligas es, es un honor muchas gracias I couldn't have said that better myself and I have no I have no idea what it does it sounds awesome thank you for all those kind words that you said about me I don't think he mentioned me at all, did he? No. Okay. <laughs> it sounded wonderful. All right. Anyway, as you can tell, not a huge meetup, but it's like quality, not quantity. And uh, this is awesome. I'm so happy that I drove over from Atlanta to uh, meet up with all these fine folks and uh, hope you enjoyed our little meetup report. Cheers, Deb. Cheers. Woo. All right, all right. Uh, that was so nice of that guy saying all those wonderful things about me in Spanish. <laughs> That's what he told yeah. you anyway. I don't know. Does anybody speak Spanish and know exactly what he said? I don't know. He may have been saying, like, pleading help. I'm being held <laughs> against my own, my will when somebody called the police. Uh, What'd anyway, you do the so next it, day then? As I said, it was great. It was a great time. And the next day, Liz is asking me, what did you do the next day? Well, uh, Armando said, Hey Jeff, when are you leaving in the morning back for Atlanta? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm probably going to get an early start because, well, you can't leave too early because you have to meet, uh, Megan and I and, uh, our Carlos over at the 
pepper box donuts mm. uh, place in Noda. And uh, we did. And we had some awesome uh, donut breakfast sandwiches coffee? and uh, got some good coffee and some uh, really awesome donuts as well. So it was very nice to uh, to see everybody again. There's Carlos and Armando and Megan and I think Christy, I think is her name. Uh, 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 so uh, she joined as well. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great uh, Friday, Saturday for me. And uh, got back uh, in time to sing at the Vigil Mass on Saturday and then do my four Masses on Sunday. And uh, let's see, did I fly anything? Um, nope. Nope, I don't think I flew again. On Monday. Oh, that's right. I, I did go. I should have taken a picture of that. Darn it. I went with my youngest daughter, Natalie, to the Braves game on Monday night, uh, one of the uh, games in the series uh, against the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Did they win? I'm, you know what? I we left about halfway through, Liz, because it was a, a rain delay to start the game, and um, and at first they were doing very well and in the lead, and then the Dodgers came back and uh, surpassed them. And I think we left in the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, Dana, do you know? Have you been keeping track? Did they win or lose that game on Monday night? Do you recall? Uh, I don't recall because I haven't been keeping track. Oh, Liz is going to look that up. Staff, look it up. All right. They lost. Um, oh, they lost. Darn it. Anyway, it was like off and on rain showers, but it was still a lot of fun. Uh, pretty nice seats. And uh, there was a little bit of an overhang from the upper deck that was uh, on top of us. So it kept a lot of the rain off us. A little bit beer? windy and a little chilly. Uh, did I have any beer? Of course not. I never drink when I go to a baseball game. Of course I have beer. Uh, you can't go to a baseball game without at least a beer or two. And some uh, some big giant jumbo hot dogs yeah, and uh, ballpark franks, I think is what we call them, and uh, some French fries. Anyway, it was a great time with uh, Natalie, and uh, yeah. And then I flew this uh, trip uh, that I just got back from well, uh, a little we while get there, ago. Do you want to say yeah. happy birthday to Steph on Wednesday? Oh yeah, yeah, we do. Let's uh, let's uh, yes. Yesterday was uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, twenty fourth. Yeah. So Steph's birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Steph! Yay. Delightedly. And uh, the whole gang. Oh, look at that. Happy birthday, toilet it tissue. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just happen to be sitting up here and no idea yeah. why it's sitting up here, but there's all types of sayings on the roll. So oh, now nice. they know it's, it's Dr. Seth's birthday. That's festive. Yeah. So a very festive toilet tissue. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I think we have a picture of uh, Steph in the lake uh, is enjoying some of the birthday activities um, uh, early in the day. Yes. And then I think later that day she headed out of town in the caravan and uh, heading for the coast to do some jumping. Jumper, oh, look at who jumping, some jumping, uh, jumping, jumping. And uh, this guy right there uh, is Stephen Ivey. He ha happened to be flying into uh, the Charlotte area in his private jet uh, that he pilots for his uh, airline or company. And so he was part of the birthday festivities and got to see Armando and uh, et al., Carlos, and all, all the folks there. Uh, did get to see him. And then uh, later that day, Saturday, uh, Carlos and Armando uh, took off in the uh, 
the the Piper, uh, Super, Super Cruiser. Cruiser, Cruiser yeah. yeah, I'm not going to make that yeah, mistake no, again. No. Super Cruiser, which is what we see here in the picture of the blue and uh, tan paint job. And there's uh, Carlos enjoying uh, sitting next to the Super Cruiser on the little airstrip up there somewhere in Virginia. I can't remember exactly where like it is. Like a fly-in camping thing they It's a fly-in camp-in kind of thing. So, you, you know, you bring your tent and uh, I don't, I'm not sure how long they were there. But uh, at least overnight. And uh, so one of many things that Carlos uh, got to experience while he was here. And I believe he is flying back um, sometime this weekend, I think, or maybe tomorrow or Saturday, something like that. Anyway, so um, that is a couple things, uh, picks that uh, Armando sent. Yeah, Carlos has been a very, very busy person. He's going to need to take a vacation when he gets home from his vacation. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, then you flew your trip. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted then you. I flew, you flew your oh, trip okay. And then I flew my trip yesterday and then you deadheaded to Charlotte. Yeah. Yesterday I deadheaded to, deadheaded to, uh, Charlotte, but I didn't get in, uh, in time before Steph left. She must've heard I was coming and, uh, but it was just a short we layover. At the it, it was, anyway, yeah, I was at the uh, airport holiday and, um, very short layover and then just flew the segment from uh, Charlotte to Minneapolis uh, this morning and then deadheaded back to Atlanta. So that's it here with me. Are. And here I am. And now what we've all been waiting Yay. for, we we want to hear from our co-host, wow. Dana Colton, Captain Dana. And uh, as I said, a lot has happened since he's been on our show. And you will remember that uh, he was going through the training process of, um, you know, becoming a 737 first officer. And then he did that for what, a couple of years, Dana? Yeah, just over uh, just over two years. Okay. Yeah. And then you got uh, a bid for captain on what? The Airbus. I'm flying wow. the Airbus. <laughs> now awesome. I can, when I introduce myself, I actually say I am a bus driver. Yeah. Well, you can say that, you know. Legitimately. Re- legitimately, yeah. Which is pretty awesome. cool. Oh, look at that. There is Aww. a picture of Captain Dana in the cockpit of some the Air, Airbus and some hot chick. I hope that uh, Julie, your wife, doesn't see this. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. That is That hot chick is Julie, his wife. Yeah, sitting on his lap. Well, tell us what what, what was this uh, occasion here on the? Well, uh, we're talking about the first thing that popped up actually. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> talk about that all the time. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was our twenty fourth wedding anniversary. It was the actual day of the wedding anniversary. Uh, mm-hmm. Julie was brave enough to take a day off from work and uh, try to non rev on my flight, which worked out splendidly. Uh, in doing so, she was able to come actually see the uh, the working conditions that I have to work and live with. Uh, dire that, working. Yeah, dire. I mean, terrible. I mean, it, it, there's no room in that cockpit. I don't know how, you know, four, <laughs> five, seven people can fit in there and still have a dance floor to dance on. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very spacious uh, facilities for my working environment now. And the best part of it is that cup holder, which is uh, just to your uh, left, uh, you know. Yeah, nothing fits in. Oh, really? Is it uh, <laughs> too small tiny, to fit anything in? Tiny. Okay. You, know, uh, you know that small water bottle that we have on Acme? Yeah. 
that's about the biggest thing will fit in there. Ah, okay. So it's pretty small. But no, mm-hmm. it, it is, believe me, there is no shortage of space for me to put my tall bottle of water, my shaker bottle that I take with me, my food. You know, certainly if I decide to, you know, have a, I actually probably should have sent that. I have a picture of that where the tray is actually out with a meal on it and I have nothing in front of me but the food. I feel like I'm Kathy actually, in, would be you so know, proud. sitting in a, a table mm-hmm. in, in a diner or a dining room and having it in time to enjoy my meal and not trying to balance it on my leg. And I never like using the logbook for that. And so, yeah. And I think that cat, I'm, I'm really sorry that captain Nick Anderson isn't here today to kind of, uh, uh, enjoy, uh, this, uh, this new, uh, airplane that you have been checked out on and, and you guys could just talk about how bad everything else is. <laughs> um, but yeah. before, hey, uh, Liz, before uh, we do that, we have a little video that's associated with this picture. Yeah. Uh, uh, can I play that, Dana? Would yeah, be, uh, I was hoping you were going to play that because this is, yeah. this is, you know, when you talk about talk about a dream, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that further on uh, with somebody else, but a, a dream that has uh, been assisted by my wife. For, I mean, we've been together for 30 years over 31 years, and she was instrumental in helping me to succeed and in, in land my uh, j- dream job and, and, you know, further my career. Uh, and for this to happen on the 24, um, our 24th wedding anniversary and the fact that she got on the airplane and was able to uh, come and be with the uh, with me on the, on the flight and then up, end up in Providence with my best friend, who have been friends with for 41 years. Uh, he just moved from DC up to Providence. So we're just seeing his house the first time and then surprising them with her being there. So anyways, the, uh, this will kind of put that all together. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome on board flight 2215 non-stop service up to Providence, Rhode Island. I am your captain, Captain Dan. I get first officer Nathan up there who's going to be assisting me taking you to Providence. Standing right next to me is my wonderful bride. Today is our 24th anniversary, and I want to take her to Providence. Thank God she got on the airplane. Celebrated our uh, 24 years together. Uh, this is married, 31 plus, that we've been uh, dating. Anyways, I'm not going to trade her in for anybody else. I love her, so I'm not available back there. All right? <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we do appreciate your business here at Delta Airlines. I'm going to invite you to sit back, relax. Hope you have a most enjoyable flight up to... Uh, Providence, if there's anything you can do to make your flight more enjoyable, or any of my crew members back there that can make your flight more enjoyable, please don't hesitate to let us know. In the meantime, looks like we'll be right on time. We're a little bit early into Providence if everything goes as planned. Providence weather right now is 68 degrees and sunny. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board. We'll be underway here in just a few moments. Yay. Yay. That's nice. I, said, nice I did say Acme, correct? Yes, that's uh, and all all those uh, logos are Acme logos. Every one of them. Yeah, I'm put the proper logo back on here. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to censor any of that because that would be way too much work. So yeah. just deal with it. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. It's really um, good. Um, let's see. So continue on, Mr. Dana. What's this all about? So we're, we're talking photos here. So yeah, uh, that is uh, a preliminary 
viewing of what you're going to look like here in uh, just a few months. And that's <laughs> one of my very long time friends, uh, one of my best buddies, Tony Strong. Uh, he was on the 350, and that was his retirement flight um, because it was a fully augmented crew. So they had four pilots on board. I could not jump seat on his last flight because he was in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, and I looked, I actually looked to buy a ticket. I about fell over with a coronary. You you talk about that earlier with buying a first class mm-hmm. ticket. Well, coach ticket was somewhere around sixteen thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, no, I wasn't going to spend that type of money. Excuse me. Yeah. Wow. It, it, it was crazy. Well, it was possible. <laughs> it was it was last minute, and uh, yeah, you know, that would have been for a center seat. And you know, I'm a big guy, so uh, wow. yeah, no. So I met him with balloons, and I videoed his. They pulled a fast one on me. I was trying to track his flight, and I saw which runway he was turning into, and he was they were landing east that day, and I fully expected him to go to nine right uh, uh-huh. landing. Well, no, they ended up sending him to one zero. <laughs> so I was <laughs> scrambling to try to get into proper position, but I did get a video of, uh, of his last flyover, and um, yeah, uh, amazing guy. I met him way back when I was a ground school instructor. Uh, he was struggling coming through training on the airplane, and I took him quite literally underneath my wing, and and we've been best friends ever since. So that's my so buddy. So some Tony. trivia, some trivia here. Dana's first appearance on the Airline Pilot Guy Show, episode ninety, uh, before he was a regular <laughs> co-host for a while. Well, so when I was explaining what I was going to do in Savannah that day. Uh, Dana was a little unsure about this whole podcasting thing. And I said, look, you don't have, yeah, I, you don't have to use your real name. Uh, so he goes, okay. And so he decided to call himself Tony. And then he later told me that this Tony that we just saw in the, in that picture, uh, the re- uh, retirement flight, uh, is, is the Tony that he got that, um, the, the namesake for, uh, the Tony that we had on our episode 90, which was obviously, Dana. And, uh, so I just thought that was kind of, kind of neat trivia there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, that's true. I mean, I, I've always had affinity for the name Tony and of course, Anthony is his real name and he goes by Tony. And so that's just a natural thing for me. Yeah. He, he and I are very, I mean, in personality in likes and dislikes and thought processes, uh, we're very, very similar. So that's, probably where i i came up with that great guy great guy one of my one of the best guys and he he i'll be honest jeff all right (laughs) give you a little little preview he is i've got two friends i mean get another really good friend that just retired too and he i mean basically rolled his bag out of his car and threw everything in the bag with the bag his rollerboard into the trash and never looked back Oh, um, wow. he was just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm so happy to be done. And Tony, I, I speak to him almost every day and you know, he's been trying to find a corporate flying position. Cause he's just, he's not ready. He wasn't ready, ready to retire and he mm-hmm. still missed it. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know what the breakdown is percentage wise, but uh, I've talked to some people in the chief pilot office about, so if I decided to leave early, how would I go about doing that? You know? And, and, and they said, Oh really? You're thinking about maybe leaving early said she said a lot of pilots walk in there and they're irate irate about the fact that they have to quit the job and stop flying and they're just they're just 
pissed off basically. And, uh, they want to, they want to continue their flying career, which of course you can, as, as we know, I mean, our good friend, uh, the good looking captain, Jeff, Colonel Jeff, uh, is, is still out there flying corporate now. And, uh, he, it's not out of his system yet. And, uh, me, on the other hand, I'm I'm looking forward to hanging up my flying cap and uh, and uh, captaining my RV and uh, the world of uh, surface roads and off you know off the road kind of trails and that kind of sure. thing. Yeah, let's do the next slide. Okay, who's this guy? All right, so here's I, I kind of alluded to him a little earlier. Uh, that is one of my uh, closest and longtime friends that I've known. Well, yeah, we've been friends probably the longest of anybody I know at Acme. His name is J.R. Canales, and he is my first officer in this photograph. But the, um, the, the this this was, I had to pause here for a second because I almost choked up on it. You know, when you have a dream and you have a, uh, a desire to do something, um, and then it comes to fruition, and then it just becomes a reality. Uh, it's 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 amazing. So there is an, another photo here that I sent with it, and it's a picture of Jr. and I uh, very early on. We met almost to the month. There it is, we're right in front of a Seneca. Uh, before we're about to fly from Salt Lake City back to Atlanta. Uh, we met as uh, airport customer service instructors, both aspiring pilots, uh, December of 90, uh, no, uh, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart, fat. Um, a long time December ago. 94, Decades ago. I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, so we we were trying to both time build. And, and so Salt Lake city, he was part of a, part of a flying club that it was very inexpensive to rent aircraft. So he and I uh, would rent airplanes out in Salt Lake, which is Bonneville, uh, which is right underneath the, uh, um, well, right next to the airport at Salt Lake city, which you have to actually talk to their tower to even, get clearance, take off, et cetera, et cetera. So we uh, did this three times, uh, fly, flew across the country together. Uh, and up until very recently, JR and I uh, probably had the most flying time together. And certainly for me, uh, the most time I had ever flown with any one individual was with JR. I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours together. Um, and so we knew each other really well. And as a matter of fact, we almost one time crashed an airplane into Enid, Oklahoma. You talked about fuel starvation earlier with that first um, that first news uh, clip, and that was uh, going to Enid, Oklahoma. We were flying a single engine Comanche, and we had a fuel salvation on on the base to final. Already had the flaps set at full. Already had the landing gear down. So so that airplane was dropping like a rock when, once the engine quit, and I had a very high uh, high tension power lines in front of me uh, at a high level, probably 100 feet off the ground at least, maybe 150. Uh, and I had to make a decision real quick if I was going to go below them or go above the power lines. So I pushed the nose over to go below them because we weren't going to make above them. And so JR, good CRM, was switching tanks. And next thing you know, the engine came back at full power. And now I'm looking at the power line saying, well, do I fly? I still fly under them or do I try to get above them? 
And I real quick calculation. I went above them and then we landed and changed our underpants. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I remember you telling them that story yeah. uh, in the past. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a great story. I've heard this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, fast. Yeah. So, there, so you were with him when this, yes, happened. I was with him when that happened. So we, you know, as okay. I said, we've got a lot of, we're both, uh, uh, um, ground school instructors. So we had, you know, the in, inherent mm-hmm. sense of being good CRM, uh, pilots, you know, one flying one leg and the other guy works the problems and so forth and so on. So it, it worked, mm-hmm. really worked out well. So, Fast forward, um, when September 11th happened, um, you know the airlines were trying to cut staffing, and I took it took an opportunity to to leave property and went and flew for a very small regional airline called ASA. Uh, Jr. did not leave right away, but he did uh, a year later, and he went to work for Continental Express. So our paths kind of diverged at that point. Um, only to come back and through various channels end up back at the same airline. Uh, I worked as a duty pilot. He worked as a duty pilot. He actually ended up working on the fourth floor. I had spent so much time uh, trying to build my time to be able to do the best job in the world, and that's fly airplanes. Uh, I I saw the writing on the wall, and I said, you know, I know what. I want to go fly airplanes for a living, and I never looked at the management aspect of it. Uh, JR stayed on that same path, ended up as an instructor, um, and fast forward all through this, 25 years later in one month, uh, January of this past year, uh, I had a trip in open time, and JR came out and uh, flew the trip with me. So you talk about coming full circle on a career. Uh, It was just I mean, it's very moving for me. I just, it's one of the biggest highlights of my life and one of my highlights of my career careers because, you know, we started both with the aspiration of, of doing this. And then, you know, here we are 25 years later and, and we're both doing exactly what we wanted to do. So it, it, very, awesome. very, very fortunate, very lucky. A uh, really good friend, really good resource when I was coming because he's an he's an Airbus instructor. So uh, you know, when I had some big questions, uh, he he was there for me uh, the entire time uh, to answer anything I, and anything I had. He actually took me into the simulator before I even started training to give me kind of a high level. Of, this is how the airplane flies. This is what it looks like. This is what the ECAM looks like. Uh, you know. It was really a good in- intro to to what I was getting into. Excellent. So that's a picture of me uh, the day that I passed my check ride on OE. So I was fully signed off at that point. It was just a amazing feeling. Very happy face. Yeah, very happy face. Yeah. And so, and then now you have a picture of the the Neo. Well, I mean, this is uh, this is not the Acme. Uh, this is our sister airline, uh, Delta, that we're seeing yep. in the. In the photo, but it's a it's almost identical airplane to the one that we fly. It, exactly the same, you know. The, the Neo is a Neo, and it, you know, just different paint scheme, but still yeah. in front of my favorite town on on, on especially in the United States, uh, and that's Boston. Mm-hmm. That is why I I ah. kind of bit onto that photo, and uh, just okay. my 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 new air my new type of aircraft in front of my hometown. Uh, really, yeah. really rewarding. Nice. Yeah, any uh, new members uh, in your family? Uh, yeah, there? she's sitting on my lap. There she is. There's my oh. little baby. She is actually one of the sweetest little girls ever. She is just loves people. Um, and her name is Aria. 
we rescued her during COVID. Um, she is uh, a little poodle. She roughly 12 pounds and she absolutely loves doing several things. One, she loves playing of course what dog doesn't, but she loves going to my backyard hunting for squirrels and chipmunks. And you know, she has two confirmed kills now for a 12 pound dog. Oh boy. Yeah. She's, she's very much a hunter. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, she is a loves the lake. Perfect segue. Uh, of course. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's an awesome photo there. <laughs> I made that hat for her. So, she, so her, you know, her, her daddy, she can't match her daddy. Um, but that's, uh, for those just listening, it's, you know, how everybody's seen me with my hair hat on. I look at, like Guy Fieri. I'm floating in the water with uh, sunglasses on in my hair hat. Uh, which happens to be red. And then there's my little girl with her life preserver on with her red hair hat, with her hair spiked and her red sunglasses on. So (laughs) just like daddy, just like daddy. But I'll tell you what she, I mean, she absolutely loves the water. Like if I, if, if either one of us jumps into the water, she goes berserk and then she, you know, basically jumps in after us and, and just floats with Mm -hmm. us hour after hour after hour in, in the lake. So it's just, She's almost the. I, I, I initially started out when we were looking for a new uh, addition to our family, um, not wanting a black dog, knowing that we're going to be on the lake all the time. But they mm-hmm. couldn't have asked for a better or more perfect uh, puppy to. And, and I didn't send the photograph, but she also likes. Uh, she likes to ride on the motorcycle as well. Crazy, wow. isn't it? so? Deanna. Uh, Dana is uh, a veterinarian uh, in our live audience. And she says, what an adorable little dog. And she sees a lot of them. She does. So she knows what she's talking about. I mean, poor baby. Speaking of Deanna, she just had, uh, she's just like her daddy has problems with the teeth. So she's, we think she's somewhere around five because we rescued her, but she just had uh, three more teeth out today. Uh, So she's laying in my lap, kind of woozy and, and out of it and, and, clearly not very comfortable and she loves to be with her daddy so now some artistic Um, shots of his aircraft yeah she's a wonderful girl so the next picture we're talking about and uh, we have a picture of speaking of cumulo granite uh, special airport qualification saq airport which is jackson hole wyoming Uh, what a wonderful beautiful challenging place to fly um I just had quite literally checked out on the airplane, had only been on it. I think I had about 120, maybe 150 hours at the most on the airplane, which, you know, it sounds like it's a lot, but, you know, when you're just getting used to an airplane, that's not a lot of time. And I had this trip to Jackson Hole, which requires a a line check airman to sit in the jump seat to, you know, give you guidance and observe you and sign you off to be able to do this operation. Well, there's only one other time in my entire career I have felt so far behind the aircraft. Uh, and that's the first flight I ever took was from Atlanta to Macon, Georgia, which as you know, is a very short flight. Uh, it, this uh, flight was is 30 minutes, but there's a lot of considerations you have to uh, think about. Number one, the airport is 6,000 plus feet elevation with a 6,000 ish foot. I can't remember the 6,200 feet elevation or 6,700 feet elevation, 6,200 foot runway, vice versa, somewhere right around there. Um, very, very complex 
uh, airport to fly into with a lot of high terrain. I think the Tetons are uh, somewhere around 13,000 feet in elevation. So it's uh, very challenging. Fortunately, the, when I flew in, it was mostly clear. Um, but I can see where, you know, like the first um, first uh, news item we had, I can see where where it can become very fuse, confusing, very uh, complex, and very um, difficult right right away. And uh, if if it hadn't been clear up there, it would have been very difficult because you have to consider not only the runway length, but is the runway clean? They can't use because it's in the national park here in the United States. They cannot use de-icing fluid on the runway or any type of salts. So the runway has to be cleared. There's there's a whole list of considerations they have to think about. Do I have enough fuel for to go back to Salt Lake City? Well, we're already limited on fuel because the airplane airplane is going into a very high altitude and very short runway. So the, you know, of course, they want to try to get as many passengers on the aircraft and, and cargo while they're also trying to minimize the amount of fuel that you have so that you can get in there. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, things. The weather you have to you have to know the weather before you ever think about leaving Salt Lake City and of course up in the mountains the weather is very changeable. So there's as a new captain uh and unfortunately one bad thing is we only I only had about 50, 50 I was scheduled for about an hour and five minutes on the ground, but because of delays I only had about fifty, maybe forty five minutes to do all of this for my first time. So there there's the time compression uh, issue that became a factor. Um, so I, I slowed the operation down. I wasn't willing to take the chance and, and um, you know, not be familiar with where I'm going, what I'm doing. And there's, there's uh, you know, all types of slides and videos and uh, uh, pictures that you have to go through. And I did all that before I even got to Salt Lake, but still very overwhelming. I have a, a bit of advice for you and probably another consideration. I wouldn't fly the airplane with all that snow on the wing. Just just saying. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that was that was a small consideration. I I just you know, it'll blow I, off I, once I, you get going fast I, enough. It'll yeah, I, I was pondering <laughs> my fate because it was so cold that snow would have just blown off anyways. It mm-hmm. wasn't melted, but no, I of course got the ice. So, absolutely. So you, you you mentioned the runways. Is that the same for the uh, aircraft as well? I mean, you, can you use de-icing fluid on the um, on the aircraft, or do you have to do you use other some other method? Nope, they do not use hot de- uh, hot air de-icing, uh-huh. um, at least when I was there. Yeah. The, the two times I've been there, uh, one time I didn't need to de-ice, this time I did need to de-ice, mm-hmm. um, and they use, they use fluid. Oh, okay. So, Just wondering. Yeah, it's type one. Cool. So it wasn't bad. Excellent. So, so I think that's all the photos. I all in all, would you say that you're loving your new jet now that you're, you've been on it for a while and you're comfortable with it? Um, is it the best that you've flown in your career so far? Uh, there's no perfect airplane, <laughs> Jeff. I didn't, no, I just, I said that <laughs> there best, really is the best one that you've flown. I didn't say anything. about it is perfect. Uh, I would say it's the most comfortable aircraft Mm -hmm. I've ever flown. I am very, very comfortable in it. Um, The seat, having an electric seat that moves into any position is great. I will make the one caveat on that. Uh, The older Northwest versions of the Acme Bird, 
they have a very uncomfortable seat. It's actually three different pieces. Um, and there's a, a, a seat cushion, then in the mid, you know, the bottom, a bottom cushion, then there's a middle cushion, like where the lumbar is mm -hmm. with nothing below it and nothing above it. And then there's like a shoulder rest, um, no headrest. It's, it's, it's an incredibly uncomfortable, very painful, uh, seat to sit in. So mm -hmm. I would say other than that one factor, uh, only on the 320, uh, it is, it is a very good airplane. Um, it's uh, is it the airplane I'm going to retire on? I absolutely think so. I think I'm going to stay on it uh, only because of the growth on it and the you know other options at the airline. Uh, the 737 just frankly is just too tight of a cockpit for me. I'm just too big of a guy. Mm -hmm. So um, it's uh, the bus is really uh, a great airplane. Now the the 319 is a wonderful. Um, wonderfully powerful, wonderfully has great performance. Uh, that's why we can take into short runways like up to Jackson Hole. I will, I will say that my worst landing ever in any commercial airliner was on the Airbus 319 going into Key West, Florida. Yeah, that's not um, a long runway, and not a long runway at all. And I did a, you know, what I would think is a perfect short field landing. However, the computer on the airplane didn't agree with me. And when I had the stick all the way back at the stop, you know, trying to pull the nose off, and the airplane just slammed down, and I had to go out and check the struts and make sure I didn't lose all the tires and <laughs> hit the bottom of the engine, I hit that hard. Wow. I mean, it was that. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. It, it's, it survived. Mm -hmm. So I survived. Good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Airbus is, um, is an incredibly comfortable airplane. I, I would have to say um, it's got the technology of the 88 um, as far as the uh, avionics go. It's still the late 80s technology. It's not, uh, it's not the, uh, it's the, the newer technology that's available on the 7.3. So the 7.3 is kind of a meld of the best of the new technology and the best of the old technology. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of going into the comparison a little bit because honestly, if, if you ask me, uh, is the bus the best airplane out there? No. Is it the most comfortable airplane? Well, they designed it that way, and it's actually probably one of the most comfortable passenger airplanes out there. Yeah. Um, it, it's comfortable to ride in the back as well. And it's very, in the, in just the way the autopilot works, I think is very passenger centric as well. Um, I love the 321 and the 321 Neo, uh, derated the engines a little too much in my opinion. Uh, so we have a little bit of, you know, trouble climb. I, I call it the three or four state climb. So it depends on like when I came out of Boston, uh, last week, uh, it's a four state climb is Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, and finally leveled off over New Jersey. <laughs> so when this airplane gets heavy, its climb performance is is not not spectacular not at all. Yeah, not optimum. And so it it's but it's still it's a very comfortable flying airplane. You know it's um, it's been a bit getting used to that side, side controller. I'm still like you know on the seven three and the eighty eight. I I could I could you know really got the hang of the landings real quick and could always almost always very consistently land those airplanes very smoothly. Uh, the bus, not so much because you're flying a computer. 
Mm-hmm. You're not really flying, you know, with a seven three, even though you're flying hydraulics and it's, you know, it's, 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 um, fly by wire, uh, like in, in the 88 was actually fly by wire, by cable. <laughs> you know, those two airplanes <laughs> you were directly controlling, basically directly. Yeah. A cable. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're basically flying both of those airplanes, uh, directly. Whereas the Airbus, it's, you know, you, you're basically flying a computer. Mm-hmm. So um, if you don't fly exactly the exact same way, in, in, you know, it's always can change in conditions, different weather, different winds, different everything, different temperatures. Um, you know, it, it can be quite a challenge to land this airplane consistently smooth. But overall, Jeff, yeah, I have to say, uh, you know, I pondered for a long time whether I should, should have gone to the 7-1. Um, but the flying that I'm doing on the Airbus is 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 kind of like the old 88 days mm-hmm. and i'm and that's seriously still some of my favorite type of flying to do i like the one to two hour legs and you know if i have to do three legs a day so what i mean it's really a a pre-flight on the airbus is is about seven minutes hmm. that's it that includes setting up the cockpit wow you know with your ipad and mm-hmm. and Put plugging your headset and you know going going ahead and and, and and downloading the flight plan and looking at the weather viewer to see if the you know turbulence it's it's about seven eight minutes maybe so um yeah it's uh, it's been a it's been a great ride uh you know the training was uh a bit challenging just because it's a whole new way of thinking just like you know when you came through training on the 7-1 the uh, fms gave you some 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 headaches yeah, and some I issues i tried to quit uh it it, it <laughs> <laughs> retire early uh, yeah so like can i do the uh, voluntary early out program and they go no you, you had to do that like six months ago jeff so shut up and learn this shut up and fly yeah. <laughs> yeah, just be done with it. Yeah. yeah, and once you get used to yeah. it, I mean, it's. I mean, I've talked to a couple of my friends that have flew this. You know, have, yeah, one of my buddies, very close to me, uh, Adam, he has flown every, just about every. Well, he certainly has flown every narrow body here at Acme, um, and he said his favorite airplane that he's ever flown at Acme. Uh, if you don't include the seven five, of course, seven five is you know just in its own category. Mm-hmm. Uh, his favorite is a is is a seven one seven. So, um, in summary regards, I'm kind of, you know, remiss that I didn't go to my, and stay with my, uh, you know, McDonnell Douglas family per se. Now, even though they call us Boeing 71, it's still yeah, a so, MD 95, so but, uh, it, it's, it's, it is. And so, but the, the bus it's, they, they basically, from what I understand, now I'm no expert. I'm an expert on how to operate the box, the FMS. Um, and I'm still learning things about it. You know, I've only got uh, 320 hours on the airplane. So, you know, everything's going to be a learning process. But I, I would say, um, you know, it, they, they had to de- develop this FMS yeah, from the ground up because Honeywell and um, um, what's the other big manufacturer of FMSs? Um, uh, Collins, maybe? Oh, my God. I'm having a brain fart. Anyways, Calling, yeah, calling. So they, you know, they couldn't. They had to worry about copyright infringement. So they had to do things a little differently, and uh, it's it's a it's a from box, uh, and you have to realize that. So it's almost like you know, back in the eighty eight days, we always did what was called a dry clean. 
So you have to go direct to someplace, anchor it, and then build the plane out in front of it, right? So that's basically what you have to kind of do with the Airbus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it, it's got its, you know, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very well-designed airplane. It really does what it, what it's, uh, you know, really set out to. And, and we've talked about it in the show and nauseum in the past. And that was, you know, the dumbing down of the pilot's ability to fly aircraft, right? The loss of, loss of the ability to have manual flight skills. And I really think of all the airplanes I've flown that the Airbus is probably the biggest culprit in that because as everybody's told me, it takes really, really good pilots and makes them average pilots. And it takes really poor pilots and makes them average pilots. It basically averages everybody out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of great things about the Airbus that protects uh, the safety of the flight and safety of the aircraft and uh, the passenger comfort. But there are a lot of things about the aircraft that, you know, it just, I, I've I've gotten comfortable enough now that you know you can still click the auto thrust off and you can click the autopilot off and hand fly the airplane just like an airplane. But even even when I do that, it just doesn't fly like an airplane. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it still flies like an airplane, but it doesn't. It just doesn't feel like an airplane to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it still feels like I'm operating a computer. And that if if that was the one bad thing, I would have to say. You know, it, it's it's something I'm still having to get used to, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I don't like the airplane because of it. Uh, you know, certainly, certainly uh, not gonna say that because it's it's really uh, you know a, a nice stable platform. But I, I can see where the argument can be very easily made that uh, this airplane is is making a very lazy pilots. Yeah, you just have to kind of keep I guess forcing yourself to so, do the work. Um, you know. Hey, I, your your our connection now is getting a little. Oh yeah, I, I, shaky. Skype. Yeah, it's uh, it. I'm getting full signal. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know why, but uh, yeah, it, and Liz is telling me it's it's coming from from your your end, so I'm not sure exactly. Uh, we're thinking that maybe um, uh, Netflix or something. Maybe Julie should knock off the Netflix. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she's not using it no. um uh i don't know i mean i'm on you want me to push the hard wire uh no i think uh, let's just let it let's let, let's let it wire? settle down so we'll try to get you talk about the cover so i'll yeah, tell you what then, i'll uh, do we're gonna um we're gonna go ahead and switch modes um and uh talk about the you. uh cover art and then maybe uh you know, the demand on your, uh, bandwidth will settle down a little bit and it'll, it'll fix itself perhaps. Um, so go ahead and pop up the, uh, cover art. Thank you, Liz. This is, uh, thanks to, uh, Brad, the Sultan of wings who has, uh, joined us a little while ago in the, in the live audience. Uh, and he is a fellow Airbus, um, uh, pilot Dana, uh, for, um, uh, what, what do we call that one? Ac- Ajax, uh, in, uh, Charlotte. And, uh, one of the first, uh, stories that we covered or the first story, I think we covered in last yep, episode was the, uh, cargo luck 747 landing, uh, in which the right center, um, bogey, uh, departed the aircraft, uh, on landing and, uh, went flying into the air and, 
he suggested the title, You Picked a Fine Time to Leave Me, Loose Wheel. And uh, so that's that's what we went to. The Bouncing Bogey <laughs> Blues, I see in the uh, subtitling of the uh, music that we have on the bottom uh, part of the, uh, of the, of the work of art. And, uh, this is a cockpit view looking from, uh, the, uh, passenger compartment forward or the jump seat forward. And, uh, is, is the person that's sitting there, Liz, is that some kind of, I think it's the art, that must just be the, the artiste that, uh, the what? I think it's, a you think singer, that's the singer who that? sang you picked? No, yeah. I thought, wasn't it, um, didn't we say it was Kenny Rogers that sang? Yeah, but this this guy is okay. This guy's doing a kind of a spoof version of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know, or maybe this is just uh, something that the AI we need ca- we need Captain uh, Nick to tell you know us came up with. But yeah, we do. We actually really need to have uh, Captain Nick with us uh, explaining the whole process of how he came up. But he's starting to use Dana uh, now. This uh, Mid Journey, which is AI uh, created uh, artwork, and you uh, you build. Uh, artwork by uh, putting in certain prompts, certain text prompts, and uh, it comes up with uh, some crazy stuff. And this is another version that, of course, we can see through the windscreen. Uh, the uh, the bogey or part of the but one of the wheels of the bogey uh, just bouncing uh, in front of the uh, aircraft there, and uh, that was very clever. Yeah, you know when I saw this artwork. Um, I was quite amazed how detailed and I was scratching my head to figure out how in the world did he really come up with something like this. So now that you, you're telling me that, you know, it, it's a new way of doing it. It makes yeah. sense because that's absolutely fantastic. It is. It is. All right. And, uh, the show number is in the, on the, on the fly Acme, uh, patch on his left shoulder, uh, yeah, a little blurry, but it says APG 570. It has the Fly Acme logo, and uh, it's a good-looking uh, leather uh, flying jacket he's wearing. And uh, yeah, great, great artwork. So, thank you, Captain Nick, if you're if you're watching uh, after the fact. And uh, let's see, what else do we do? All right, just past the two-hour mark. Um, our control room is telling us. So uh, is it now time for our coffee fund? It looks like it is. So we're going to go ahead and hit the, uh, the old coffee fund button here, which is right there. We get to sing. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I'll take some. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea. And the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. That's good Java. And uh, that's Jeff Smith, the uh, jingle master uh, with the uh, APG version of the Java Jive. And the reason why we play that is to tell you all about our coffee fund, your way to support our show financially, if you have the resources to do so. And a couple of different ways to do it. We have uh, the classic method, the OG which is called the Coffee Fun Classic. And uh, since the last episode, Sven Rather, I don't know, I, I probably butchered your last name there. Rather, Rather, maybe Rather, I don't know. Uh, so um, it looks like some kind of uh, European uh, name. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe he can send us some uh, feedback sometime and tell us a little bit about him. Uh, but thank you very much for your donation, sir. 
And uh, also, Alan Loveday, and the reason why I have an asterisk there is because he uh, used the uh, function on uh, PayPal where you can actually put a little note in with your contribution. And so I'm going to try to quickly find... I'm probably going to have to re-log in. Um, Here we go. Uh, The note from Alan is, thanks for all you do. Great team and lovely community. Keep up the great work and happy retirement when you get there, Jeff. I'm now 10 years into retirement. Awesome. And never been so busy. (laughs) Uh, God bless and happy landings. Oh, and 7-3 to Nick. That's a uh, what do they call that? Um, um, ham radio. Ham radio. Term. I think it means hello or something yeah, like that. I think, yeah. It's a nice acknowledgement. Yeah. Alan, thank you very much again for your very generous donation. Uh, very nice. And thank you very much. And, uh, the other way to support the show, you know, I should probably play this thing and it's a little loop thing that I have, uh, that I created. We'll see how that works. We're test driving it for the first time here. Um, so the other way to support the show is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash airline pilot guide. It's essentially a way for you to uh, pledge a certain amount per creation or episode. And uh, yeah, so we have a bunch of people that are patrons of the show via Patreon. And we so appreciate all of, all of your contributions. And uh, it's one of those things where... Uh, sometimes we have people leaving us, sometimes people joining us, and uh, since the last episode, more people have left as patrons than have joined, but that's okay. In the end, it all works out. And uh, so if you're interested in either of those methods for uh, supporting the show financially, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. Incoming message. All right, the first one is from Aviator Tony, uh, host of the uh, Squawk Ident podcast. And uh, he said, Hello, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I really enjoyed listening to the segment you did on uh, that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I really enjoyed listening to the segment you did on the crew that was scolded by the tower controller at San Francisco. I totally get it from both sides of the argument. I was driving when I recorded this, so forgive the sound quality. Cheers, y'all. He says, obviously, you will not hurt my feelings if you decide not to use any of this feedback. I get it. You have to stay above 50% after all. Well, you know, considering that then, uh, Aviator Tony, I was going to play it. But um, with that caveat, uh, we'll just go ahead and move on to the next uh, feedback item no, number. No, no I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> no it's it's very nice <laughs> feedback, and uh, you're going to hear it right now. Take it away, Aviator Tony. Take it away. Good morning, APG. Love it. Well, this is Aviator Tony here, listening to the latest episode, and I've got to admit, you've sparked some pretty good internal debate in this guy. Listening to the segment that you did on the San Francisco uh, issue with, uh, did you read the ATIS? And I've got to admit, (laughs) I have also fallen prey to having a controller ask me a similar thing. And I think the reason for that is because we as pilots cram in a lot of information in a short period of time during our pre-flight. If we read our flight release in its entirety, 
with every I dotted and T crossed for every notum that is printed on that release before each departure, it would literally take us an hour to an hour and a half to disseminate the information, to review it, to discuss it before we take off. And that is just not practical. Now, we are responsible for that information, but what we do is we will read the crucial information, the header on the release, you know, what the, the critical parts of the, the flight release are. And then we skim through the rest of it to see if anything applies to us. Now, I've flown close to 20,000 hours in my career, and every pilot's different. Every pilot will say, uh, you know, hey, I was uh, looking at this at the hotel, and I see that this notum and this notum and this notum, and you're like, wow, okay. And then the, the other pilot's all, all right, uh, we got our mint takeoff fuel and our landing fuel, and let's go. And the rest of it's all just kind of skimmed through. So you have all different types of pilots out there that feel comfortable with, you know, the information that they usually gather before each departure. And ATIS is no different. Some ATISs are short to the point. And we take the critical information from that, we apply it to our pre-flight briefing and prepare for departure. Other ATISs at major airports, San Francisco being one of them, can be a good six, seven, or eight inch long piece of paper with very fine print with a plethora of notums and runway closures and taxiway closures and birds in the vicinity or codes for birds in the vicinity like BIV. And all this information, day in, day out, it gets to be, like a flight release, a little monotonous. So we tend to look at the critical information, the altimeter setting, the temperature, the winds, the runways in use, any, any taxiway closures that are going to affect us on the taxi out. And we take this, we use this information to load the, the FMS system and we're on our way. A lot of times those last few sentences on the ATIS are missed. And these are things like maybe down there they'll put low level wind shear advisories or in effect. Or make sure you have the numbers for both runways before you taxi. I can easily see how that can be missed. I don't fault those pilots, the Delta pilots, for missing that. And when they said, well, I read the ATIS. Well, sure. But did you read all of the ATIS? And technically, they're at fault. They should have had that briefed and ready. Now, maybe they did, as you guys so eloquently mentioned in your discussion about the event. Maybe they did. And in that scenario, what plays out in my head are the many times that I have been able to do a last-minute runway change because as a first officer, you're the one that is heads down in the box or in the FMS system, and you're the one that's changing runways, making sure that the no links or the discontinuities in the flight plan have been removed, make sure that the waypoints have not changed on the departure, and you have the performance numbers. If you do those three things, then you should be good to go. You can brief the captain while they're taxing on the changes. Some captains will say, okay, sounds good. You know, they're kind of following along as you're doing this and taxiing. Other captains, they want to stop the airplane, pull off to the side, go over everything with a fine-tooth comb, and that's okay too. That is part of being a chameleon as a first officer. You have to adjust. Now, I'm pretty good with the management system. 
and I can probably do a runway change in the flight management system within 60 seconds and cover all of the three critical points, which is runway change, uh, changes to departure, removing any discontinuities, and making sure the performance numbers are correct. And some captains were like, okay, I see you got it in there, let's go. And others need the time. And you need to know who you're flying with, because if you're flying with the latter, then accepting a, oh, we can get this done in two minutes is probably not realistic. I think both the controller and the pilots put themselves in this situation that created this little back and forth. And unfortunately, it does happen. It could have led to something a little bit more dangerous, but I think this was a great example. I'm really appreciating that you spoke about this on the show. It's a great example that you really need to know who you're flying with. And even if you're flying for the first time, you can you can pick up on these kind of um, nuances relatively quickly, even with the pre-flight briefing. If if your pilot co-pilot is pre-flight briefing and is taking a 20 minutes to go over everything, then you're probably dealing with someone that needs to dot every I and cross every T, which, you know, at the hearing, that's what you want. Um, also, you could be flying with someone who, you know, was like, oh, looks good enough. Let's get out of here. Um, so I think a balance between, somewhere between the two is the safest place to be. And uh, like I said, your discussion on this article really did spark a lot of uh, interest and uh, debate within my own head. And I, uh, I really do appreciate it, uh, as I'm sure all of your APG listeners do as well. Anyway, keep the dirty side down out there. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Aviator Tony. And uh, also, as we mentioned a couple of times, uh, Squawk Ident podcast. It's a great one, especially the one that I was on. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so I think the biggest mistake made there was the uh, air traffic controller trusting um, what the pilot told her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never trust a pilot. And then conversely, we never trust an air traffic controller either. So, you know, it's a two-way street. Trust but uh, yeah, I think uh, as we mentioned, uh, very, very um, pertinent uh, points that you made there, Tony, uh, regarding, you know, who you're flying with and maybe the first officer thought that it was only going to take two minutes, but uh, maybe the captain he was flying with wanted to not compress that time and, you know, which is perfectly legitimate. And I think a lot of people in safety would say preferable. So uh, it was just the mistake of telling and giving the air traffic controller the, the idea that they could do it that quickly. And she was basing everything on that. And as I said, never, never trust, uh, trust, but verify, I guess, as uh, Liz just said. So, um, um, Dana, I don't know if you heard about that incident where, uh, um, Acme had a 737 that, uh, at San Francisco international that, uh, was asked to switch runways kind of at the last moment from uh, the left to the right side. And, uh, and basically they said they had to, you know, update the box, which is true. Uh, but the, I think the fatal flaw was when he said it only take two minutes because there was a, an airplane on final and like five minutes out. And so she was 
trusting that it was only going to take them two minutes to do everything they needed to do. And that was a little bit optimistic. And so they had to pull off the runway. And then there was a little snarky exchange between the controller and uh, the pilot crew uh, regarding that. And so it was a good discussion. Yeah, I I believe it went something like the pilot said, you need to give us more time if you're going to change the runway. And the controller said, did you listen to the ATIS? And the pilot (laughs) said, yes, we got the ATIS. And the ATIS said, all pilots be prepared to use both runways. (laughs) And they were. It's just but you have to still go into the box and do all the changes and verify. And you have to go through a couple of checklist, uh, what we call boxed items at uh, Acme, where there are certain items Mm -hmm. that you have to redo again if you have a runway change. And I think, again, I think sometimes – we underestimate how long it takes for things to happen. Like in our head, all the stuff that we've just done only probably took a minute and a half. Well, well it's, it's more like probably at least five minutes or longer for us to do all that. You know, it, it, like traveling from the final approach fix to landing on the runway seems to me like it doesn't take very long at all to go from that final approach fix to landing touchdown. But when then when you listen to air traffic like ATC um, live.net and you hear the actual live recordings and you hear them call the final approach fix or checking with tower. And it seems like it takes forever before they're actually touching down and thinking, gosh, it doesn't seem that long when I'm actually in the jet <laughs> flying the airplane. Right, right Dana? Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it seems like it's a lot faster than that, mm-hmm. than, than the time. Yeah. So, you know, it, <clears throat> this is a classic example of don't, don't let time or, or anybody push you. And the fact that the controller assumed that uh, because it's on the ATIS that we are going to have both runways loaded, uh, that would be pretty impractical. So I think it's an incumbent upon the crew t- to make sure that they take their time and do it right in, 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 instead of being time compressed. And that's when errors in the Swiss cheese model you know, starts to happen. Oh, no, so, no, no. Dana, it's no longer the Swiss cheese model. The it's the Funyuns, Funyuns lining up. Lining up. That's what we're using now, uh, APG, (laughs) and and we're trying to like force the entire industry to go from the Swiss cheese model to the Funyuns model. Now, some of the people outside of the U.S. are a little confused about that whole concept, but yeah, Captain Nick is starting to pick up on that. So, anyway, um, good discussion. I fully get it. Good discussion, and uh, thank you so much, Aviator Tony, for love checking in and, and providing us with some audio feedback. And uh, you can tell he's a, uh, a podcaster because it was awesome audio quality, even in his car. Now, I would uh, I'd take that thing into the shop and take a, have him take a look at the uh, left rear uh, suspension. Um, I think I heard a little something in there that didn't sound quite right. <laughs> Are you an AP um, mechanic for cars? I am an, well, I'm not an AMP mechanic, Liz, but I am a certified automobile mechanic. I'm not really. No, just kidding. Um, you know what I'd like to do, Liz? I would like to skip to item yeah, number seven because I, I noticed that uh, Greg Peterson is in our live audience and he uh, sent us just before we started the show, a little bit before we started the show. So there was a discussion. Well, here, let me read this. Uh, Greg Peterson, uh, our once upon a time uh, biggest ass fan, um, 
because that was a company he worked for, the big ass fan company. Um, no longer working for them. He's now working for an aviation engine, jet engine company, uh, which he is uh, just loving. And uh, so he sent this in. Um, in response to the feedback about the United Airlines aircraft numbers, I have a few friends who work for United, and I checked into the aircraft numbering system. Here's a brief explanation of United Airlines aircraft numbers. Not, uh, and who was that uh, that was asking about that? Was Sam Bolog? Okay. Um, Sam showed us, yes, uh, show that picture again, Liz, in the uh, video, the uh, model that he had. And he was referring to the 2077 ETOPS um, in that blue area there. And he's trying to figure out the, the code of what Grab 2077 stood for. So, uh, Greg... Our APG community is awesome. You know, we we uh, have people that get right on it and uh, do all the sleuthing and uh, and solving of these uh, issues for our other crew members or community members. He said, uh, here is a brief explanation. Numbers that start with one are 787-10s. Numbers that start with two are triple sevens originally belonging to United and those triple sevens purchased after the merger with Continental. Numbers that start with three are aircraft that belong to or were ordered by Continental prior to the merger with United. These include all of the airlines 767-400s. Some of these aircraft may still have numbers on the gear doors. And he said, see the photo below uh, from uh, Dulles to O'Hare flight this morning. Uh, that begin with zero as the uh, Continental aircraft numbers previously all started with zero, but were renumbered with threes in the United system. Okay. Are you following us so far here? Yeah. It's There'll be a test. Pretty right? simple and complicated. Yeah. There will be a test at the end of the show. Um, 787's bot post merger also used the three digit. Okay. Numbers that start with four are Airbuses. Uh, numbers that start with five were 757s that originally belonged to United. I understand that all of these are retired now. Numbers that start with six are 767s that originally belonged to United. Numbers that start with seven are 737 maxes. Uh, there's one right there in the in the picture, in the video. Numbers that started uh, with eight were the United 747s, which are all retired. I didn't realize that United had retired all their 747. That makes sense. Um, so that, okay, well, Greg, that is great. Thank you very much for providing us with that information for that first digit of those four numbers. Now, please explain what all the other digits mean. <laughs> every other code in United, please. Yeah, every, <laughs> I don't know. I think it may have something to do with the, uh, with the registration number, the end number of the uh, jet, if if I'm not mistaken. But we do have Greg with us in the live audience, although he is on a, about a 20, 25 second delay, especially Greg. I think he has like a two minute delay because of the swearing. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait for him to uh, see what he says about the other numbers after that first digit. But uh Wow, that's a lot more than we. He said they kind of match the re registration number as best I can fit. Yeah, so that's that's what we thought too. So, wow, that was an in-depth explanation of the first digit of those four-digit numbers that are on the United Airlines airplanes. Again, wow, what a what an amazing audience we have. 
Anything to add or subtract, <laughs> the two of you? No, I don't have anything. Okay. Pretty, well, uh, yeah, pretty informative. And it's kind of a crazy numbering system. It is complex. Yep, it is very complex. I'm not. Sure, I don't think our system is like that, Dana. Um, I think it's a little bit simpler. Mm, no. Not not even close. Yeah. Um, Much simpler. Let's see. Um, Magnus. Uh, has a recommendation for all of us. Hi, ABG crew. Hope you are all fine. Here is a great YouTube channel called Speed Tape Films, which is a video series called Cockpit Casual, the life of a ferry pilot ferrying airliners around the world. Take care on blue side up and stuff, Magnus. And uh, so he's given us some links here, which we're going to have in the show notes. I'm not going to play any of these. We have talked about Speed Tape Films and Cockpit Casual on our show in the past but it, it's been some time and we do realize that are there are a lot of people that are have just joined us uh, in the last year or, or so or maybe even a, in the last month so i wanted to cover your feedback again just to kind of remind people that there uh, are great awesome youtube channels out there that exist like this that are very informative and entertaining and uh, again we'll uh, put these links in our show notes for you all to check out. All right. Two things from um, Robert. Robert. We, uh, we have a couple of items from uh, pieces of feedback from Robert Tucker, who I'm not sure where he lives. <laughs> um, oh, wait a minute. No, I always oh, get no, this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so Robert used to live in um, Mayretta or Marietta. Uh, just, and I thought it was like just north of the big chicken, but he finally corrected me and said, no, I'm actually south of the big chicken. The big chicken is a Kentucky fried chicken franchise restaurant that actually has a, a big chicken. And that's what everybody refers to it as it's a landmark, here in the Atlanta right? area, the landmark. big chicken. Yeah. It's a landmark that people go, oh yeah. If you're referencing the big chicken, I can kind can of understand air, you know, what you're telling you me. Can you see it from the air? I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think it's quite that big. <laughs> like the Great Wall of China? Um, chicken of China? Yeah, not quite like the Great Wall of China, uh, but close. It's a big, big moving chicken. Big moving chicken, yeah. It's actually a, it's beak it's a moves big moves up and down. And it, yeah. yeah, and eyes move too. Yeah, it's pretty wow, kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, uh, it's not too far from where Dana lives. Uh, a lot of crazy people that live out in that part of uh, Atlanta. Um, just kidding, of course. Um, so, um, no, you're not. But, he, but, but Robert uh, has now moved from Cobb County to uh, Gwinnett. Or is it? Wait a minute. That actually might be DeKalb County, where he lives now in Tucker, Georgia. And did you get married there or something? Oh, I, wow. I did get married there, Liz, uh, in uh, on October 23rd, 1982 at Tucker Methodist Church, just down the road uh, from uh, Tucker High School, where my previous bride uh, attended high school. It's in DeKalb and, County, uh, Jeff. In DeKalb County. Thank you. I thought so. Okay. Um, so he's, let's he's get back to Robert. This is the whole point of all this. Robert is now working for Acme as a contractor, I believe. And uh, he says, Acme uh, Human Resources, HR, has issued new restroom signage. So there we go. I guess they're having some problem with cleanup in the uh, men's bathroom. Uh, there's a, <laughs> a, a, a little sign there. 
showing <laughs> what not to do <laughs> and and the, the plea to the uh, to the user uh, the customer here hit the target I think they could have added please That's hysterical yeah so I guess they're they're having a lot of splashing and other otherwise inaccurate um, delivery of uh, the urine stream into the toilet receptacle at, uh, at Acme or the urinal or the toilet or whatever it is. Okay. That's <laughs> uh, a, there's a pretty common uh, aviation, I don't know, bathroom sign, I guess that, that says something like if you have low manifold pressure, uh, you know, if you have low manifold pressure position closely, so you don't drip on your landing gear. Something ah, like that. So you can kind of relate a little bit better. Oh yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, language. the janitor is going to uh, have a big job uh, if you don't, you know, do a little bit better with your aiming. Um, Robert also. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I downloaded this video. <laughs> okay. uh, we got time. Okay. I, do we have we time? Have okay. Two and a half hour. Uh, Jeff, so. I'm not sure exactly what this is about but we're going to find out all all of us together here within the americas and asia pacific regions for transatlantic travel group bookings can be made up to 331 days before departure okay so it's showing um a, a young lady in front of her computer and i think she is calling into uh the uh, reservation system for an airline uh, and they're, I guess she's on hold right now. So, um, and she's looking kind of frustrated, frustrated perhaps, or not very happy. So here, let's continue. Oh. Okay. So she's listening to the music, awesome. the hold music in the background. And then all of a sudden... She pulls up from her lap a French horn, and now she is playing along with the hold music. This is the way. You take the monotony out of the holding, hold music when you're on a telephone call. Although I have to say, I prefer the muted trumpet. It's a trumpet with a straight mute, I think, or maybe a, uh, uh, what's the other kind of mute they call that? Uh, darn it. It's been so long now since I played the trumpet. Um, a cup mute? No, not a cup mute. A, Hang on, um, I'll look it up. Yeah, there's a, another. I, I, I can see the picture of the mute in, in holding it in my hand. I just can't remember what the name of it is anyway. So let's continue hearing the her French horn playing and the muted trumpet in the background. <laughs> she has stopped and she's just looking into the camera again. But obviously for her to have worked out 
that <clears throat> melody means that she has been on hold for quite some time. <laughs> yes, Jeff, it is a cup, a straight mute and a cup mute. A straight mute, cup well, mute. Uh, we're getting a harmon a, mute. Harmon, I think that's it, a harmon mute. That's the one I was looking you for. Look a little obscene. Ooh. Yeah, well, you know, don't get your mind out of the gutter, Liz. Okay. Anyway, I like um, that video. You know, Jeff, it doesn't get any easier as you get older. No, it doesn't. It gets harder. Well, yeah. mm. well not really. Uh, <laughs> oh, thanks, Liz. That's what she said. <laughs> or or didn't say. Okay. Um, let's continue before we get into that's too it. much. No, that's it. For today. That's it. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. We have done it again. We have come in under we the wire of three swept hours. The board. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, nope. Yeah, I'm supposed to play. Wow. There we go. It's all, it's, it's uh, <laughs> dedicated to the uh, W uh, key on my keyboard, Dana. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Nice yeah. beaver. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this is the point of the show in the show where we talk about the social medias, the oh. social meds, as I like to call them. Oh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about our website, <laughs> airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of stuff there. We have uh, information about the crew and the community and the community calendar. We have merchandise. We have the APG library. Tiffany, our librarian, takes care of that. We have uh, a PT, a dedicated uh, Plain Tales page. Um, a way to get to the YouTube um, videos through Maybe the. Maybe we uh, should mention why there APG was no plane tail this week, Jeff. Oh yeah, we should mention that, Liz. Uh, there was no plane tail this week because, um, unfortunately, due to scheduling concerns and uh, uh, a, a certain uh, co-pilot or co-host who was busy playing with their bowl, uh, bowls. Um, very involved in um, bowling, lawn bowling league play. Um, wasn't able to m make it to the show today because he's very busy. Captain Nick is, and he's doing quite well, I believe. Told and him to take uh, a break. so he's taking a break uh, from the uh, plane tail. And uh, hopefully uh, next week or the week after, uh, we'll hear another one of those awesome plane tails from him. And uh, so anyway, there's that on the website and so much more. So check it out. Uh, it's airlinepilotguide.com. And we're also on social media, the social meds. And Nick, have you ever done this before? Up, oh, nope. Needed. Okay. Well, now is your debut. All right. We have a Facebook page. It's Airline Pilot Guy. We have a Twitter feed, which is at APG Crew. We have an Instagram, which is also APG Crew, and we have Slack. We do have Slack, and there's a gentleman named Hillel that uh, uh, put that all together and manages, manages it for us, and uh, let's see if he's here today to uh, tell us about Slack and just miraculously, he always seems to appear wherever I am. Do you have a key to your place? 
I don't I don't think he does. You know what? I don't think this is the right uh, clip to play here. Okay, let me stop this one and play this one because he's taking. Clip. I mean, we're listening to we're listening to hello, hello in the bathroom. He's like taking a very long shower. Let's take a shorter one this time. Oh, yeah. Hey, I gotta pay for the water. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Oh yeah, because I just asked him if he wants to tell us about Slack, and he yeah he's, he's dripping wet. This is like terrible. Okay, uh, let's uh, hear what he has to say about Slack. Where is it? <laughs> Shoot. Here it is. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Always appreciate it. Uh, Okay. We've got to end the show first, though. Okay. Uh, we, again, thank uh, Hillel for all of his hard work. And uh, we also want to thank Liz. Come on into the video box there. You're there we go. Thank you so much for all your hard work, Liz. You're uh, an angel. Man, I had to troll for lots of news this week. It Did was, you? I was working it. All right. Well, thin pickings. Yeah, yeah, we need more feedback, everybody. More feedback, and we'll find some more news for you, and uh, we'll do our best to be as informative and entertaining as we can be. You know, we have limitations. You guys stretched it out, and it was great hearing all about Dana's. Yes, it was. So thank you, Dana. Uh, It was awesome having you on the show again and uh, catching us up with what you've been doing. And uh, if anybody has any questions out there for Dana... Uh, please send them in, and we'll pass them on to, to him, and uh, we'll get some answers for you. And until uh, next time, wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. See you all next time. See you around the skies. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly America oh airline pilot guy he can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly